What's going on, Asymmetry? Got to take a little moment out of the day to revisit the great American adventure, the journey across the country. Iris Sisson and Ryan Klumpner drove the covered wagon to the national show for us this year. And I wanted to circle back and get their impressions of North America, of the shifting culture, flora, their experience at the national show, and all the realizations that come from this fantastic journey. It does feel to me almost like an odyssey kind of uh, calling. That might be dramatic, but so be it. Um, Fascinating conversation, wonderful insights, I think, in terms of the realm of bonsai as an art, practice, evolution, etc., that come uh, from these two guys and, and the conversation. And you're going to want to stay till the end. There's something very special for you that we drummed up at the tail end of this that will, I think, in a single moment, sort of capture the entirety of the spirit of the covered wagon. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Ira and Ryan, everybody. Oh, sorry, Ryan's, here's the, oh, there he is. Yeah, don't worry about it, I'm here. I'm there here, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. Not, not, nay a foul word need be spoken. Um, Hey, did you see the text, Klumpner? Um, Eve responded that if you were able to record, it may be helpful. So, yeah. Oh. I don't think I can record, I'm just a mere mortal. I don't have the pro account, like I'll use sophisticated yeah. Zoomers. Give me uh, one one second here. Let me see if it uh, see if it will. Uh... You don't have the pro account, but you got the pro closet. That's the whole thing. Ooh, this uh, closet testing is one, two, three. Yes, I can record on my end. What you know? The dangerous part is what's on the other side of the screen that you can't even see right now. <laughs> yeah. I I don't even know what to say about that. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know we how to respond. <laughs> we should definitely avoid the closet concept in, in right up until the point that Darlene walks in when she gets home from work and and then we can then we can let her know that we have an announcement to make. Uh-huh. And you're gonna turn around. We, and- we, we were we were we were joking about uh your uh asking him if he's in the closet and you know, yeah. Ryan, I and I spent a lot of time on the road together and we have an announcement to make. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, no. Uh, we- no, 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 I'm sorry, you mean he's actually physically in a Yes. We all yeah. we all thought that it was coming. We all knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. So Spoiler alert. This is Spoiler what alert. happens when you ride on the covered wagon. Yeah, it's a yeah. dangerous time out there. It's a it's a bond yeah. that forms that is uh, that is is walking the crossing of several lines. A lot yeah, of weird truck can't. stops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys recovered? Yeah. Have you recovered from the covered wagon? Oh yeah. The, yeah, the shining light for me was when RC and I were saying goodbye and I was dropping him off of, as I was frantically trying to get him to the airport in this massive truck, which clearly was not going to get to the airport in time. And I was, and, and you know, the Uber's like meeting us at like a parking lot of Burgerville and I'm like trucks like mowing down street trees as I'm turning into Burgerville, cars screeching. And then... <laughs> Klumpner opens the door and you're getting out and I go would you do it again and you go yeah yeah and I did not expect <laughs> I did not expect for you to say that you would ever do it again you look shocked like truly <laughs> shocked I was shocked I was shocked. I saw I mean it's it's a it's a it is a endurance feat to drive mm-hmm. across the country and then when you have to come back see Ira and I went one way last year and then flew but having yeah. to drive back, that's that that's the clincher right there. That's brutal. Yeah. 
scariest moment yeah. for me, and I didn't have much exposure to the covered wagon, was when RC was driving out of the national show, big dip off of the sidewalk yeah. onto the road, and you gunned it, and the whole truck literally looked like it was going to tip over sideways. <laughs> and I was like, well, we just destroyed about 10 trees right there. Uh, I, I, so um, I felt that I knew it was coming. I also looked out at the street and uh, knew that the only way to avoid that little lip of the curb would have been to go clear into the oncoming right. lane. And I was like, <clears throat> we're going to, we're going to jump this little curb, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's packed. Well, right. Right. It's Ira? Packed well, it'll be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Dialed in, uh, locked up tight. And, and Darlene was there, I think, with you because she commented that back to both of us later and said, yeah, Ryan Ryan said something to the effect of, I really wish I hadn't seen that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to be cool, I, man. I, I, I was just trying though, to be I mean, cool. It, 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 um, it, it took the first probably two, three days for me to get over the constant anxiety of just the endless potholes and the breaks in the road and you know i mean just especially like at night where like you really it, just every little bump you hit and that thing moves so much and just the first couple of days i was like stuff has to be moving around back there and then every time we would open it up and look and be like, no like everything's exact saying i mean it's like it's kind of incredible yeah this is the power of the high density foam yes this it is, is. Uh, Yes, it is. This is the power of high-density foam. This is the power of packing that thing so tight that there's just no physical possibility of movement. And then the last part about that that I've learned to gauge is if I'm moving in the truck, chances are we got problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like mm -hmm. as you hit a pothole, as you turn, like there's like swaying and stuff. But if like if I'm able to stably sit, the trees are able to stably sit. And that took me a yeah. while to get over that concept. Yeah, there's a direct correlation between the air ride driver's seat mm -hmm. and how much that big limber pine moves in the back. <laughs> yeah, right. Joined at the hip. Joined at the hip. Joined, joined, joined by the axles. Never to be separated. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing of try. I did the first covered wagon in 2010. I drove to Nashville, Tennessee, first time I'd ever driven that far across North America. Uh, but in Japan, we had to do that every single year. For the Kokufu. I mean, we only drove it to Tokyo, which was like 45 minutes to an hour. But nevertheless, packing Kokufu level trees as tight as possible was the name of the game. Anybody else who packed trees, trucks, etc. There was one guy that transported trees across Japan, had a lot of wasted space. And uh, it, it's impossible. It's impossible to make it work. It's impossible to hold the humidity. It's impossible to keep things stable. Yeah, the, the, the temperature stability was also really interesting because um, the difference between when it was fully loaded on the way out and then when it came back, which still there were still a lot of trees in it, but it was um, it was much more volatile and we had to turn on the cooling occasionally mm -hmm. on the way back and the way out, it was just um, solid, like yep. it barely moved at all. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the water, the heat retention in the water, you know, of the plant mass. It's, it's yeah. a shock. It's a shocking thing how how significant that is. There was one year where it was like ninety five degrees in Rochester, and uh, I guess it was the year. Oh, I don't know if I don't know if that was two thousand twelve or two thousand fourteen. It was so hot, uh, and when we closed the door of the truck, it was ninety five degrees in the back of the truck. 
and it took us three states because we would turn the air conditioning on, the temperature would drop, we'd shut it off, and it would spike again because the plants were just putting off so much heat that I, I that was really the first time I realized how significant of a microclimate plants can create. That was really a sh- like a shocking moment. Yeah. Yeah, well, this year, I mean, you've got 86, was it 86 was the number on the way out? 86, yeah. And then we loaded kind of late Sunday and rolled into the evening quite a bit. I remember you talking about kind of capturing some of that cool air there at Mirai. Mm -hmm. And I mean, once you had that air locked in and the trees were in there, it didn't really change a whole lot. But to to RC's point, it's like on the way back, it's like it's a mid-afternoon kind of early Sunday load. And you know, less trees, less plant matter, and we did have to turn on that that reefer unit a couple times. It is a, it is kind of a, you know, something you don't think about too much, I guess, when you're just going maybe you know down the street for your your club show or whatever. But this totally. is this is kind of the real deal. Totally, totally, yeah. Transcontinental, transcontinental transport is a big deal. Did did either of you walk away with this being like, well, if things don't work out in life, I could always be a trucker. <laughs> Because that's um, that's the confidence that I've taken from the covered wagon yeah. as well. If things really fall apart, I can be a trucker. I will. I will say that I I uh, uh, I certainly settled into something, especially like on the way back. I kind of hit a groove where I was very comfortable, just kind of going endlessly. Yep. Um, however, at the back of my mind, it was like. Yeah, a lot of things would have to go wrong for me to opt into this. <laughs> very, very wrong. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, on, a, on an ongoing basis. As a know, career. Like as a many, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there's a there's a novelty to seeing all these places, even as you just drive through them. I think that as soon as that started to wear off, it'd be rough, you know? yeah. You know what you, you know what the major impediment for me is is the 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 quality of food and the necessity to stop at trucks yes. at truck stops. Man. That's a yes. That's a yeah. that's a, I mean, a little bit of a devastating that's a when downer. You run through the uh when you run through the Zabaro menu a couple times, you realize it's pretty limited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the oh, fact- I, I I I gained almost 10 pounds. Nice. like for real like i got back and i knew that i knew that you know i had sort of thrown those considerations out temporarily but i was i was a little bit jarred when i got on the scale and i didn't i mean that's you know trucker life man that's that trucker life a lot of calories that's very (laughs) few calories burned and that's a lot of calories consumed (laughs) yeah it's a legit like 2500 mile food desert out there yes yes it is and you are burning the bare minimum amount to to basically breathe that's like what you're burning in terms of yeah. calories is just yeah. oxygen consumption and expulsion yeah dang yep yeah yep. no I, ira ira pointed out i mean I, I i will say like i i i felt a little bit like part of the trucking community to some extent by the time we you know like we kind of got all the little things figured out and we would chat with people and you start realizing i mean truckers are really interesting there's all kinds of them, you know, all ages, you know, a lot of women truck drivers. I didn't really expect that. Um, you know, you got a young, a lot of young people doing it. And then, um, but I re, I re pointed out, you know, the, you could see the guys that have been doing it for decades because their body starts to change shape, mm-hmm. you know, from sitting in that position mm-hmm. so long. And so, I mean, it's, a, I have a lot of respect for them because I mean, it takes a serious toll on you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and being on the road like that, you recognize how much 
of our economy and transport is still entirely dependent on trucking. It's oh, a monstrosity yeah. 100, of it. 100%. I mean, that, that was one of the big things. I mean, when you're kind of in those city areas, those metropolitan areas, you know, you're seeing the regular vehicles drive around. When you're out in the middle of, you know, you know, pick a place on Highway 80, it's you and nothing but like semis. You yeah. know, the occasional family vacation, something like that. But it's it's all those stops in middle America that are like right off the freeway built for like truckers, basically, with diesel and deaf and everything else. I mean, it's just it's a whole nother thing that you're not you're not used to in your neighborhood. That's for sure. Yeah. Diesel, deaf and showers. Oh, that's your that's your grand combination. Yeah. Really interesting. Did how did the I, I really we basically haven't talked about the covered wagon like we got to the national show, started unloading, constructing. <laughs> hopefully slept, tried to eat, had some monumental uh, community dinners and whatnot. But um, how did the first night go when you blasted off? Because no matter how hard we try, we've never left before 11 p.m. Um, I, I drove the first night and um, uh, there was like a little bit of an adjustment period to just getting comfortable with how that truck moves, how responsive it is. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's, I would describe it as kind of high anxiety for a while and you're doing it all on uh what's that highway? Uh 84 or yeah. highway 30. Well 30 30, 30, 30, 30 was the more like I I felt more comfortable when I was on the interstate. Yeah. But um getting getting to it, um, you know, it's narrow, stoplights, uh, you know, all that, the all the merging when you get through Portland. And so I, I think I was kind of white knuckling until I got onto the interstate. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, then I I kind of settled in on it. And, um, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you guys probably noticed, but I drank about two pots of espresso mm -hmm. before we took off. So I was alert and, uh, wired probably a little bit too much. It might've been, had something to do with the white knuckling, but, um, mm -hmm. and so, um, the first night was fine. I would say that like the, the hard part of that was the back end of the next day was Monday was a long day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was our experience last year, you know, Ryan and Ryan and I, I mean, you know, going Sunday night, you're kind of, you've got the adrenaline, you've got some caffeine, you're excited about the trip. You settle into Monday around, you know, 11 AM through about 5 PM and you're, you're, uh, you're looking a little sleepy. Yeah. Ogden, Utah is a tough stop. Twin Falls, Idaho. There's like a hope there's a shot of coffee. It's kind of a beautiful Canyon. And then rolling to Ogden, you get into Ogden, you're just like, this sucks. Yeah. Oh, and that those uh, um that that uh that uh connection from there to um uh getting into Wyoming, mm -hmm. uh that's kind of a beautiful stretch of Utah. Yes, but I did not enjoy that road. Uh narrow, windy, lots of speed changes, you know, and 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 that's right when you're starting to get like real, you know, kind of exhaustion starting to to hit you a little bit. So, um, but I mean, and it, it was, it was, it was tough because, you know, it's like, you want to kind of look around at the mountains and these, you know, canyons and the beautiful rocks and all the trees growing and everything. And it's like that road just requires you to just <laughs> stare straight at it the whole way. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. And the wind, the wind that starts in Wyoming yeah. and the wind that it can come through that can I've had, you know, I love Peter Warren to death. Peter Warren drove a leg of the first uh, national show covered wagon, and it just so happened, you know, he had one hand on the wheel, one hand holding coffee. Occasionally, he was like adjusting the radio. The wind was blowing like 80 miles an hour. 
Zach Scheiman sitting in the middle of the two seats in a half folded open camping chair, whispering to me, Hey man, you got to take over. You got to take over. And I just like <laughs> driven through the night and was totally crushed because I had never done uh, that kind of timing before to get all the way to New York in such a short period of time. But uh, but Wyoming and the sale effect of that giant truck is for for me that's the that was the worst part and and continues to be the biggest uh, apprehension that I have because you do see semis tip over on Highway 80 from the wind and it's just like to think about that truck just slowly tipping over. Oh yeah, you're feeling it. And the chaos if that truck actually tipped over of what 86 oh trees flipped up on end would look like when you open the back door would be yeah. I don't know that that's capable I I, I don't even want to imagine what that looks like. The strategy well, I, I, is to be very overinsured. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I had the uh it lurking in the back of my head um the last time I drove up to Mirai um, I passed two uh, flipped over semis on five, mm-hmm. which is a smooth, straight shot uh, freeway, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, every time I felt the wind in Wyoming hit that thing, and uh, Ira nicknamed it uh, Wobblepotamus. Um, <laughs> suspension <laughs> suspension was a little loose on this one. <laughs> She's like, every time the Wobblepotamus did its thing, it was kind of like, oh boy, you know? <laughs> well, but this is the They're- thing. I've never driven a truck across the country that had more than 30,000 miles on it, Penske or otherwise. When we took that bad boy over and I looked at it, it was like 120,000 miles on that thing. It was like, yeah. oh, gosh, is this, yeah. this going to be okay? Yeah. Turns out it was not. Yeah. Turns no, out there, no. there may have been an issue in uh, just east of Rock Springs, Wyoming. Right. <laughs> the first, this is the first official, that's the first official major hiccup in the covered that, wagon. That story... That story starts with, uh, I think I had driven a little bit to give uh, RC like a respite there. And then he had taken back over and we're kind of in the afternoon on Monday. And the comment was something to the effect of, hey, do you look in the look in the side view mirror on my side? Do you do you see like some rubber or some things kind of in the in the side view mirror? And so we're both glued to the mirror for the next, you know, 30 seconds, which feels like a lot longer when 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 there's some alertness in someone's voice and we both see little shards and shreds of rubber it's like yeah let's pull over and well, uh, and 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 uh Ira said the first thing I thought too which was uh, oh we must be hitting some loose tread came off somebody else on the road it couldn't right? be us it's got to be somebody else's issue definitely not us but so so he's so I, the reason I asked him to look was I then stared straight forward and I'm like okay there's no tread ahead of us here Yep, this is coming off of us. So, um, yeah, that was, um, which is, which I mean, yeah. And like the other alarming thing about that is, and it's, it's nice that there's so many wheels on it, but um, (laughs) that's the only indication that anything is wrong. Like, is that, is that, it is nice that there's a lot of wheels on this thing. I I appreciate the number of wheels. Yeah. I appreciate the the light that comes on. You don't really feel it in how it's driving. You just, you just sort of like see visually that your tire is falling apart. Like that's the indication. The dually dually back axle and it's that outside left tire for people who are familiar with these, these bigger trucks. I mean, we've all driven these U-Haul trucks, Penske's, et cetera, but, uh, yeah, there was no there was no change in the way the vehicle was riding, mm. and you just start to see that in the side view mirror and think, oh well, this is uh, probably some cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Houston, 
we may have a problem. Houston, yeah. Uh, you call Ryan. Let me jump out and go take some photos and send <laughs> Ryan Neal about 35 photos in 16 seconds and say, what would you recommend we do now? <laughs> no, what, what ended up happening, I now recognize, is you sent me all the photos at once, but they were coming in every two minutes. So yeah, we I get- were on the... Uh, the edge wireless one uh, G network in Wyoming, <laughs> which is uh, not to be desired if you're in an emergency. And All so, three of us are just at like maximum, uh, you know, stress, panic, and, frustration. And, and, yeah, yeah, Our, trying to trying to not panic. We, you know, we have all these people that are waiting for us that we're like alerting them that we have a, a delay. We're, to, you know, yeah, backcountry, Dan. I promise we'll be there. I'm just not sure it'll still be today. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, can you all, come tomorrow? We're all driving multiple hours to meet us. Yeah, I mean that that was the other part is like trying to trying to give them a heads up. Like, okay, maybe don't get on the road just yet. You know. And then they're like, yeah. I I I'm driving ten hours to meet you. So there's. Yep. Yeah. Well, when you called me, you and I are talking and you're like, what should we do? And then, and then my cell phone, ding. And I look and it's a flat tire. And then it's like, I don't know. Let me think. Ding. And then there's another <laughs> picture of a flat tire. And I'm like, God, there's a lot of flat tires. Let me just think for a ding. And it just kept interrupting my thought. And finally I was like, tell Iris, stop sending me pictures. It's flat. I fucking see that it's flat. I don't need any more pictures of flat tires, but you'd sent them all to me at once. Which was, uh, anyways, I apologize. I was also on DefCon. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't seeing these two, but uh, based on your reaction, I was just imagining kind of increasingly more graphic, you know, close-ups of the, it was, the, you know, the the different parts of the shred and the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw the I saw the rim of the tire, but yeah, it was the hero it was, shot. Uh huh. It was from the front. It was from the back. It got into the tread. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was crazy. That was that was really crazy. You know, we ended up buying a tire, right? Yeah, yeah we, did they well, not take care of that? So because the second tire was also damaged, which I don't know. I guess like I look at that as you 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 get inside these big trucks. Like I I filmed the entire body of the truck. Like that's what you do when you rent a truck because then there's no question, uh, which comes in handy for your little roof incident. But um, as far as we might want to talk about that, we'll, too. we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. But as far as the tires, I never once thought like, well, these people probably looked at it like all is good, right? The tires don't blow out every, you know, every old day. I, I've never thought about that before. So then when it happened, it was like, yeah, God, you, you called me RC and you're like, what should we do? And I was like, ah, I, I don't know. Took me, took me a minute to gather myself. Well, I, and then just like, let's also add that it is, it is, it is like just turned like 6 p.m. or something, you know, slightly after hours, and it Labor is Day. Labor Day. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I'm pulling up, like, as I'm sort of talking to you, you know, I'm thinking, like, okay, just let's just get as many brains on this as possible, all going simultaneously, because this is a time sensitive situation. So I'm on Google Maps looking up every truck repair, tire place, et cetera. They are all closed. And by all, I mean the five of them within a, you know, 60 mile radius and uh, absolute middle of nowhere. Right. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, the, that, that woman who helped us on cu- customer service was phenomenal. She was on point. I, I'm not sure if it's Montana or Wyoming, but I believe they're one and two for least populated states. I think that, yeah, that sounds right. And I yeah. feel like getting stranded on Highway 80 void of cell phone signal uh, on Labor Day after hours, like 
I, I started going to a very dark place of, well, this is the first chink in the armor for the covered wagon. And uh, what does it look like to completely reschedule the route and not get to Rochester on time? Because here, here's, the, here's the context to the time crunch is just to get our vendor booth to Rochester, we had a monumental uh, lift to find the what we wanted that was actually available and would ship in a period of time that it would arrive there so that we didn't have to put it on the wagon because there was nothing available in the entire state of Oregon. So we were already like, oh my God, thank goodness we like it got there in time. We heard it got there in time. And then all of a sudden <laughs> the covered wagon blows out a tire in the worst possible location at the worst possible time. And it was like, well, this is interesting now, isn't it? <laughs> Par for the course for 2021. Yeah. But yeah. I, so it, when it was all said and done, I mean, it's a, it, it was a three hour detour, which is, which is not ideal. And it kind of pushed, pushed Cheyenne, but uh, we got to give a little credit where credit's due to the, uh, our favorite loves, loves loves came out yep. the tire service guy this guy must have been i mean i'm not sure he's a champion but he was probably third in state his senior year mm-hmm. on changing tires mm-hmm. just cr- yeah, crushed and, it out and, uh, it, it, yes and um i didn't realize i mean because we had talked about like is there a spare on this thing or something i did not realize until watching that guy work that it, it i mean there is some serious machinery those tires are enormous i mean there is there is no physical possible way <laughs> at one point at one point when we're trying to brainstorm the thing the question comes up well is there a spare (laughs) which i mean like there should be i guess but then it's like well what kind of jack do we have it's probably not in the glove box to lift the back of this 22 foot truck but uh the loves guy had i mean i I don't know i mean people are they're listening they're gonna be familiar with this or seen on the side of the road or something but it's like the whole operation was like something that it's like, well, I guess you can't fit that in the back seat of the of the cab, you know. Right. Right. I I yeah. did I did not know that. And I was like when you when you have a big truck like this, like what what do what do over you know, long haul truckers, what do they do when they blow a tire? Do they call somebody I'll, to come fix it? I'll tell you what they do if it's a two lane road and they're off the right hand shoulder and you don't immediately get as far to the left as possible when you pass them, they flip you off. Oh, is that what happened? <laughs> I mean, we were, we, were, we were off, we were off the road, but we were like a little hesitant to go too far and put the tires into, you know, soft spots. But um, we ended up moving it, you know, fully off, off the road. And it was kind of at a funny angle and stuff, but um, yeah. 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 And then also um, we can edit this out if you feel it's not appropriate, but we should talk about the, uh, so yeah, oh, Ira and I, oh. every time, every time something went, went wrong, it's like, once you get through the shock of it going wrong, you just kind of have to laugh at it. And amongst the things that we were laughing at is we get out while the guy's working on it and we're just kind of milling around, stretching our legs. And there is a, uh, perfect, uh, packaged condom on the ground in the absolute middle of nowhere. Nothing, nice. like, on the shoulder nothing. in the grass. And, and we, we kind of go look at it and it, the expiration date on it is still good. This is a fresh condom sitting there. And then, so we have a good laugh about this. And then, um, the, but the best part is we get back in, the guy walks around the, the truck a couple times doing we, stuff. We had asked I, him to I, help inspect everything as part yeah, of our, our safety yeah. check for the Mirai uh, cover wagon protocols. That's right. That's so, right. It's professional so operation I, here. 
I nudge Ira and I'm like, let's 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 grab that condom down there as like the joke, you know, good luck talisman here. If we get out, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> he was like, all right. Yeah, so in, in Rock Springs, Wyoming, I mean, Listen. I feel like we may have helped someone stay safe that night. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love's doesn't disappoint. Love's doesn't disappoint. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But but here's the Here's the thing that I think is hard for people to understand. Driving across the country, moving west to east, you're losing three hours over the course of time. And that seems like, well, you're driving for three days. That's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Huge deal to lose those hours, to plan for that. You're scheduling, calling people and giving them, you know, uh, 30 to 60. And we try to function on a 30-minute window for the drop so that we don't burn too much time and we don't let people down. And now all of a sudden you have this setback, which then means you eventually get to Cheyenne super late at night. Mm -hmm. You haven't slept since 11 PM the previous night. So now you're going on virtually 24 hours straight. And, and then you have to get up early the following morning and you got to go all the way to Chicago. Well, and it's, it's actually, I mean, think it's true. It's like, it's like 36 hours. Or or more. It's like closer to forty hours. Thirty six I mean, for RC because he's a good napper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it. it I mean, it is. It, you're kind of pushing the limits of like how long your body can go without sleep before it starts to impair majorly. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, rolling into Cheyenne was. Um, yeah, I mean, like the last you know two hours. And we made and we literally rough. made an impact when we rolled into Little America. <laughs> Well, and also, I mean, let me just like set up the, the, the rolling in. Like I knew it was bad when I would look at the clock, you know, periodically and it'd be like, okay, there's you know 90 minutes left. And then I'd sort of go as long as I could before, without looking again. And I'd look at it and it'd be like, it's 78 minutes left. Like, oh man, this is going real slow. You yeah. know, it's just time is crawling. And so we roll into this, uh, place, uh, unnamed place, uh, built for trucks um there's a um what do you what do you even call it like by the lobby super high ceiling yeah the the welcome awning the welcome awning is very 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 tall um we pull into it i'm sorry my puppy is uh dreaming in the background here i don't know if you oh yeah yeah we can Um, we can we're sharing in the experience yeah (laughs) um uh i roll into it we pull up get out ira goes in as we get out and i turn around and i look the very top of the truck is just appears to be just barely in contact with the beam of the awning and just maybe give uh, a little smooch a little kiss uh just just you know didn't feel anything nothing and i just think oh no like uh this is you know so (laughs) I, i just say Ira, you go check in. I immediately look around. There's nobody around. Okay. All right. Like, we got to get out. Of here. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was no going forward, correct? That's no, correct. because, because, well, I, I, I looked at it and there was another one in front of me and I thought we're not playing with this twice. Uh, There's also a little going bit of out, going incline. back out the way we came in. There was an incline off of the kind of little loop road around that area. Yeah. It was an yes. incline up to the entrance. And I mean the pavement I mean, had a little like a six 14 inch foot. Yeah, it had it had it had a little six inch bump, which is why we got 
you know, 95% of the truck through before it even made contact because it wasn't until the back wheels lifted up as it hit that little incline that it, it touched at the very, very end, which happened to be right as I, as I braked to stop. <laughs> So, I, I, so wasn't, I wasn't aware so of this. And in, in, in typical fashion, you run and you try to check in as quick as possible. You give them a credit card for the incidentals and you run back out. And I was kind of oblivious to the fact that RC is giving me the signal like, hey, are we okay up here? And I'm like, yeah, we're good. I don't see anything. It's, 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 it's white it's, on white. It's a white beam. It's a white truck. He looks at it and he like shrugs his shoulders at me like, what are we waiting for? We're mm-hmm. exhausted. Like, let's get in there. And I'm like, no, like he. Look at, look again, look at what I'm looking at here. (laughs) I come back out and he is in a completely different state of mind about the position of the vehicle. And uh, stressing, stressing, total stress. I'm like, I'm like, what did you do? (laughs) Are, Are we stuck? Are we stuck? Well, and the most disconcerting part was as I was pulling in, no indication, no, no sensation that anything was off. When I go to back it out, I touch the gas and the thing just doesn't move. <laughs> so <laughs> that was that was the truly alarming part. <laughs> yeah, we're... I, I we we promise to purchase one pint or quart or whatever is the appropriate quantity of uh, flat uh, white paint uh-huh. to to address this and pot- potentially a ladder. But I think other than that, we'll be okay. Yeah. yeah well, and and I should say we left a note. We, 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 we backed it out and uh, looked up at the beam and there was just the faintest little scuff on the bottom of the beam. Like, I mean, we were within a half inch of it being like a little superficial bump and something worse, you know, we'll we'll check next year and see if it's still there. That's uh, (laughs) I feel like that's a part. I feel like that is a part of driving vehicles that big around in urban environments though like it's not a matter of if it's when it's when you're going to clip something back into something hit something and like if you for me the first time that i actually made it to new york on the covered wagon uh this was independent of rochester i actually had to get to the east side of new york city and I didn't know anything about the fact that 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 navigation is going to take you on the most efficient route, but that might not be the best truck route. And so I ended up going over the George Washington Bridge. It cost me like $120 for, because of the weight of the truck to cross that bridge. Like the tolls, once you get east of, pretty much east of Chicago, you start the toll factory, which is like a very, very expensive endeavor to drive big trucks on the highways in the eastern United States. And then I didn't see the sign that said trucks are not allowed on this road as I'm trying to get out of New York, but I hopped on a road that had the low sort of New York City uh, underpasses below the bridges. And a cop you know, pulled me over right before I basically can't open the entire truck uh, because of height. And then, and then that made me aware of it. But later on that trip driving through uh, the area north of New York City. They've got like these stone arch bridges. Uh, and the only way that I could avoid crushing or can opening the top of the truck was to cross over and straddle the center lane of a two-lane highway so that my corners of the top of the truck didn't peel off the bridge or, or, or rip off the truck. 
So I'm like driving in traffic and there's like cars everywhere and I'm having to just kind of like move cars out of the way with the truck to center the truck so that I can hit the high points of the bridge and not can't open the truck. That That's stressful. I mean, I know, Ira, when you and I were driving, the power lines in uh, in areas, just power line height in normal suburban neighborhoods where you're dropping trees and stuff is like a real stress. The, the, the one that really sticks out to me from last year was after you kind of feel like you're on the home stretch and we were at uh, Mike Pollock's place and then the drop off the next day, the exact story you just uh, kind of kind of uh, described there is the the arch bridge and we're following uh, Mike Pollock who likes uh, to, to drive race cars That's right. on, a, on a side note as we're trying to, to chase Mike on the way to go drop off that Penske last year and he's weaving through traffic and we're just like, we have an empty truck, all the, you know, the, the goods are gone, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, we can't really keep up. And as you change your driving, as you change from the right lane to the left lane, we go underneath the bridge and I glance up to the right-hand side of the arch and realize it's like a foot and a half less than the, uh, the, the coverage we need for clearance yep. and we don't hit anything, but it's like, have we not changed lanes that that's game over right there too. Game over. And can you imagine uh, a, a blown out tire pills in comparison? I'll never forget as a kid, I 70 went through my town. There was a low bridge that not all, uh, semi tractor trailers could pass under. So they had to do a, a bypass of that low bridge right through the middle of, of the town that I grew up in. And one semi truck driver, I don't know, having a bad day, maybe on the tail end of methamphetamines or like, you know, something didn't, didn't work out. Maybe he was just a normal guy like me that shouldn't have been driving that truck. Right. Hit that bridge going 70 miles an hour and moved the entire bridge off of the structural pillars, right, that it, oh. that it stood on, and the bridge was actually resting on the tail end of the pillars and the top of that truck. Like, yeah. I-70 was closed for uh, 10 days. You know, like, that's one of the major arteries in North America. How do you even quantify the cost to fix something like that? And then, like, as the person who did that, you know, you can't just be like, I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't know, you know, like everybody's going to be like, well, I'm sorry. You, you took a bridge out, man. Like that costs money. That changed your life. That changed your yeah, life. We, have, we all agreed to follow the rules here and you have a special license to drive this vehicle. And uh huh. yeah. Yeah. But, but that's the thing. When they handed me the keys to the truck that you guys drove, much like when I handed you the keys to that truck and you're like, so I just get in, turn it on, and drive away. And the guy was just like, "Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. let us know if you need anything." It's just like, but I don't know how to oh. drive. I don't know how to drive this. Like when, yeah, when the you biggest, guys took it biggest, over, it's scary. The, big, the biggest concern we had was doing the insurance background check and just wondering if RC with his speeding tickets that he's so uh, <laughs> prominently uh, proud of, you know, is whether whether that he would get approved to to drive, you know. But I think we worked that out. We had we had multiple truck drivers at stops ask us <clears throat> what license we had. <laughs> like they were a little bit surprised that just anybody can. They I were mean, disappointed even that I only had a permit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I was with an adult that was over twenty five. I don't it. know why there's concern there. This, this seems perfectly reasonable. You, you know what? The as Troy and I drove away. And you two were walking through the Taco Bell drive-through to get oh. some dinner before you started the journey. Magic moment. We have a picture of that. 
Oh, well, I, well, I haven't seen that. With our, we, we had, we had, we had our uniform on. You at did that have point. your uniforms on. You're standing very clearly in the drive-through of Taco Bell at 11:30 at night in St. <laughs> Helens, Oregon, and it was like there those brave souls go uh, across the country on the covered wagon. Right. Remember what they look like, because you may never see them again. That's right. That's right. This this could go incredibly right, and yet there's so many chances for it to go horribly wrong. Yeah, and and we should we should say, I mean, just because, I mean, we're kind of embellishing and and, and enjoying the stories here, but you know, for all the people that had their trees on this, we actually were incredibly safe. The oh, entire of course. Time. We we probably should we should probably probably say that before we get too far. Yeah, yeah. Of Except course. for that one. Well, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, but the 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 idea that you could drive almost four thousand miles across country and not experience that—that's just like that's why I continue to do it. I don't know, RC. Maybe you have different reasons for why you would do it again, but I actually felt a significant degree of sadness as as I watched you drive off because there is like this is a this is the great this is the great American adventure driving across the country it's the thing i mean jack kerouac and uh on the road obviously mm -hmm. he's engaging in a lot more uh you know adventures and all of his stops and lifestyle of that we're just trying to get to a bonsai exhibition that's the excuse but like you don't just pack up and drive across the country for the heck of it you know or most people don't but it is the great it is the great narrative arc of the continent of north america yeah, I mean, and just like seeing places people exist. I mean, like the whole Midwest, when you're going through it, even with, you know, perfect weather, um, you realize, uh, I mean, not just now, but I mean, even just 80 years ago, you know, um, uh, my my uh, grandmother grew up in uh, uh, South Dakota during the Depression. And I just heard like stories that... Um, I mean, they lived in a shack that was built with, you know, tar paper and scrap lumber, mm -hmm. you know, and like when you're driving through Wyoming and, you know, all these places, uh, I, I just like the fact that, um, you know, the American people like exist and have existed in these places. Um, it's, it's kind of incredible, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's, you hear the accent change you hear the word choice change you hear the or you see the personal interaction change it's like oh wow the landmass is really impacting the culture of these places the behavior the clothing the food the the, the chains that have formed the regional uh connection to whatever it is i mean driving through lincoln and omaha it's like you know how many corn husker you know, Nebraska Cornhusker football signs do you see and recognize that that's basically a religion in itself through that region of the country? How much corn you witness driving through, I mean, Iowa, okay, I, yeah, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, parts of Ohio. Ohio. Ohio, Illinois, Pennsylvania, that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand. It's that entire stretch where it's cornfields, beautiful big oak trees, you yeah. know. And, and I guess one of the things that I was thinking about when I knew we were going to talk today is, 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 I mean, RC and I talked about this a little bit, our, Ryan and I have talked about this on the, in the past too, but just, you know, kind of what time this back into bones eye a little bit for the, for the conversation's sake is you, you see all these different things that you don't, you see in the natural environment when you're driving across the country like that, but you're not really seeing all these things represented in our bones eye 
exhibitions or people's collections. And I know, Ryan, you've talked about, you know, the inspiration for some of the forests that you've done in the past. And, and I, I mean, you're welcome to expand on that. But, you know, RC and I talked about that as well. It's just like, there's so many trees and beautiful species that, I mean, I'm not even familiar with, but you see them and go, well, I've never seen this represented in bonsai. And there's, there's an opportunity that's kind of untapped potentially there. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's the whole the, the first trip across the country, I was just like so dumbfounded by the expansiveness of it and the change of these things. And that's what brought about the the creation of the redwood forest. Cause it's like, what does it, what is one species that iconically represents the United States uh, as like a singular identity or a grand sort of embodiment? And obviously growing up on the Western slope of the Rockies, which puts me on the Western side of the continental divide, which pushes me into the Western United States, as opposed to the Midwestern United States, it, it was the redwood. It was the redwood. Now, is somebody on the East coast going to identify with the redwood? I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it unless they've been to the redwoods. But when you talk about the tallest, the largest, the old, you know, like all of these things that exist on a singular landmass of, uh, of North America and inside of the United States, it's like pretty profound to think about the identity or the nostalgia memories that form around this plant material, which is an inherent part of, of people's interpretation of place. And that exactly like some of the, the trees and the forms of trees along the waterways of Nebraska are as fascinating to me as any bristlecone pine. Yeah. yeah. Just, just brilliant forms, fantastical forms, floodplains, yeah, lightning that, that, storms. That whole Platte River complex yeah it was really beautiful I, yeah i mean and as you're talking about that too i, I think the other thing and there's I, there's some sense of um what's lost that i think kind of pulls a lot of us into this you know the how difficult it is to see certain things and i mean especially driving through the eastern states i kept thinking about the american chestnut mm. you know which i mean had been described as the redwood of the east and is now essentially non-existent Right. You know, um, and um, yeah, I mean, like there's 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 a lot of kind of amazing stuff when you go across the entire continent. But I mean, one of the things that makes it sort of bittersweet is um, you can also kind of see remnants of, you know, how young so much of this is and how recently um, things have things have disappeared that, you know, not that long ago were just vastly more spectacular and, and we have to kind of imagine them and represent them in other ways now. Yeah. And even what, what existed where those cornfields are, you know, yeah. what, what was yeah. removed, what was removed to cultivate the land, what was removed to keep up with population increase and the necessities of, uh, of, of not only the United States, but feeding some portions of the world through the fruit food production you know, which which is just this massive other story of sustainability. I, I think the James Agent podcast like tapped into that hardcore in terms of whether this is actually yeah. viable over the long run or not. And and his assessment is that it it isn't. And I think that's a lot of people's assessment. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing. Even as we talk now, you you brought up the chestnut, which is being which was taken out by I believe a blight, correct? Chestnut blight, uh, 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 a fungus, yeah. And and the the story about how the the it was a fungus from Asia, mm -hmm. and the Asian chestnut is resistant to it because it they co evolved over a long period of time, but um, 
the story about how people try to save it is also kind of incredible because they clear cut swaths in front of the blight to try to cut it off and stop it from spreading. And in the process of that, eliminated any genetically abnormal trees that would have had resistance. Wow. And so we very well may have had, um, you know, one in five million of them or something could have been resistant and we could have kind of rebuilt off of that, but we obliterated that as it, as it progressed. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, but you know, when you're going through a lot of these, a lot of these, these places, I mean, even, um, like I, I remember Indiana has some just incredibly dense, tall, deciduous forests. I was kind of just amazed by just the, the mass of greenery in Indiana and just the wall of it on all sides uh, for such long stretches, but it's all young, yep. you know, I mean, relatively speaking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the Dutch elm disease, you have the emerald ash borer, like a, a, a lot of uh, white pine blister rust, I believe is going from East to West. It's, it's like a lot of that current coming over from from Europe for some of those things, from Asia for other aspects of those things, I I have to believe, I have to believe that we've probably contaminated other countries and ecosystems with diseases from North America. I don't know where sudden oak death originated, but it's my understanding uh, that it potentially originated outside of the United States. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty wild. It's pretty wild how the world got small and 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 problems got big. But but even when you look at the lodgepoles on the continental divide wiped out by the by the the beetle infestations, like you're saying, five five to eight percent of the lodgepole pine stands are going to exist because there were trees that were resistant or had some mechanism to be able to endure or not succumb or fend off the borer infestation that eradicated 95% of the lodgepoles on the on the um continental divide yet that that mechanism in nature exists to persist right like that's a really fascinating thing that you just brought up yeah I, the the last time i spent some time in this in the sierras i, mean, I feel like every time i go to the sierras it just gets more and more depressing um you know cuz i mean there's places that you roll up that 10 years ago were beautiful, thriving old growth forests. And now it's, yeah, it's like 5% of the trees are alive, but at the same time, um, yeah, there's that, there's that 5%. And I, I think what makes it, you know, so kind of difficult to watch climate change, you play out in front of us, which is sort of where we're at now is you can just visually see it is that you can see the adaptability of nature. Um, but the speed, you know, it doesn't have the time mm -hmm. to make that adaptation, at least in a way that we will be able to see, you know, I will not be able to see old growth in those places in the Sierras in my lifetime, because it will take too long for them to repopulate, even if you have, you know, resistant trees. I mean, you can see the resistant trees to the borders and everything else. Yeah. Um, but there's a few of them, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's, it's, a, it's a major, major, major shift in the flora that uh what what we're getting to witness right now but then you could look at like what a hundred years ago what people saw and they would be like golly you know you don't know anything and it's like well yeah but when you think about when i think about taft being my age he, there's a strong chance that he's not going to be able to see much of any of this or he'll be like i remember when i was a kid and we used to get snow i remember when i was a kid and we would go to the redwoods. Now they don't exist. You know, like I remember when I was a kid and I saw my first giant sequoia. Now they've all burned down. Like that's 
that's kind of the tenor of things. It's really, I think inside of that, like the trips across the country that I've taken have definitively inspired the creation, Ira, like you insinuated or hinted at of, of forests that represent these ecosystems. But it also makes you recognize like bonsai might be uh, a living time capsule of genetics. Bonsai might be a living time capsule of aesthetics of what, you know, ancient looks like, because once the relics are gone and burned, it's like, hey, man, I, it's 5,000 years for another bristlecone to look like that. I obviously, we're not going to see that, but humanity might not even see that again. Yeah, yeah, that's the conversation you had, I think, too, with some of your experiences with climbing in the redwoods, too. Right? Weren't some of those guys also like uh, um, trying to capture seeds of the giant sequoias and some other kind of maybe species? And, you know, it's like, what, what do we do? What, you know, you don't want to go doomsday on the whole conversation because that's no way to really enjoy life. But it's like, you know, we are kind of going with that time capsule concept and, and, and maybe bonsai is a way to kind of express some of that age. You know, you get some different uh, characteristics when you're container growing uh, plant material and you got know. the dog ears. You got the dog ear effect. It's real. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's real. No, uh, we podcasted with Tim. We haven't released that podcast yet. Uh, this we'll release this podcast like within the next day or two. But we podcasted with Tim, who was the the climbing guide, and then um, you know Tim had a lot of interesting things to say. He's actually uh, in Yos. He's actually in Sequoia National Park. Today, on the 14th, they are going into, I believe he said on the 15th, is either today or tomorrow, they're going to be going into the burn section, and they'll be the first people in to see uh, what the state of the giant sequoias is. But they're going in for seed collection, for DNA, and there's a lot of people that are getting behind this preservation of genetics now with a, you know, a notion of, you know, I don't know if the world will ever be able to facilitate, at least in, in, in any sort of reasonable time frame be able to facilitate the kind of ecosystem that supports supports those forest masses again but it's definitely you know like i had a guy at the garden who works in marine biology and uh he said you know what i i am optimistic and that was the first person that i've ever heard say they had optimism in this whole doomsday discussion of climate change he was like we're working on over the counter solutions to be able to stop uh, the death of coral in major bleaching events. And these are things that, as a community, you can preserve with these solutions. And he said, and in 20 years, he foresees the ability to offset the, the you know, potential catastrophic conditions of climate change. He's like, we'll find solutions, but it's just going to take a minute and there's going to be more loss before we get there. And I, I, I just appreciated that somebody was saying, oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Like I'm at, I, I'm, I, I'm personally, I'm working on it, and and there is hope. I was just like, thank God, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Made my day. Made my, made my yeah. week. You know, to have a little bit of hope. That's when, that's where James Agent. He's like, I just hope you know our solutions give farmers hope. And it's just like, yeah, everybody's looking, everybody's looking to cling to that nugget of uh, that things are gonna get or could get better again. You know. Yeah. And like kind of back to the discussion of like age, I mean, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of what's, what's being lost. It's not like the sequoias will be an extinct species, you know, it'll, it'll be, it's just that everything is going to shift into a time scale that we won't be able to see. And, and you know, I think that kind of cuts to 
what we all find so appealing about bonsai, um, you know, is, is that it's, it's this interaction with age that is so difficult to kind of see in other, in other contexts. And yeah, I'll, I'll also say that, you know, what was fascinating about driving across the country is that, um, you're, you know, especially the West to East is that you're seeing this shift in sort of the, the migration of, of, of people, you know, the, the built structures and the built environment gets older as you know, visibly older as you go east. Mm-hmm. You have things that have existed just far longer than they have over here on the west coast, and the natural environment gets younger because um, uh, you know we have things that we haven't had enough time to mess up yet, or you know, cut down and all that kind of stuff um, on the west coast, and so you know it. it, it it is a really interesting thing to drive through, you know, old tree, you know, the canyons in Oregon and Idaho and stuff. And you see these, these old, you know, this age to the natural world, but every, all the human structures are all very young. And then you get over to the East coast and everything has a patina of age, the house we stayed in in Rochester mm-hmm. and all that. But the natural environment is, you know, on its, uh, it, you know, it's been, it's turned over three times since, since totally. we got there. Yep. Domesticated, cultivated landmass. Yeah. I, yep. feel, I feel like this is a big part of like Europe too. You know, you have to work really hard to find old trees in Europe. Of course they exist. Some of the taxis in the UK, some of the oaks, elms, et cetera, some of the pines in Italy, you know, olives, et cetera. But, but even all of those forests are being impacted, those standalone trees. Ira and I got to see a ridiculous sycamore last mm. year in uh in in Pennsylvania uh near um near Hershey yeah near Hershey Pennsylvania that was really something outstanding but it's like that's one tree out in the middle of nowhere and i'm sure there are these spotted distributions of these trees in the eastern united states that are extremely old but you don't get the concentration like a forest of redwoods or sequoias or bristle cones and that's what i think mm. makes the west so different from the East. But I, I, I've also always been, uh, or in my journeys across the country, uh, have always kind of had this North Star of Pennsylvania as a state that I really look forward to getting to, especially driving the wagon in the fall where you see the color change occurring and you have the contrast of the deciduous with the conifer. And I think that's a model where you have the pitch pine, the rigida out there with all of the different varieties of maples and the reds and the blue or the reds and the oranges and the yellows and then this green of the coniferous form. And I still don't think that's been represented as a as a forest construct in bonsai, the mixed the mixed species composition. It's a tough it's a tough nut to crack right there. You're talking about a container that has separation for different soil substrates, potentially, maybe some elevational insinuation. I mean, it could be really fascinating. I think elevation almost has to be the way that you change the necessities of the conifer to broadleaf requirements in containerized cultivation. Just feels like you got to elevate that conifer and, and give it the oxygen and let it dry out. But once all those roots get into that container, what happens then is 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 still the question that I have. I mean, Saburo Kato tried to do this and maybe had mixed success, but I would say a low level of of success over time, trying to mix pine with beech with spruce to to show the north to south flora of Japan and some of these really innovative ideas that he 
attempted. But yeah, mixed species. I've always I, I've felt like Pennsylvania. Number one, it's gigantic. I don't think people understand how big the state of Pennsylvania is. It's a freaking monster. Uh, it's very very diverse. But um, moving from the Midwest into Pennsylvania and getting into established forests and rock and contour again is a is one of the major narrative arc changes that I really appreciate going west to east and having that shift out of the cornfields to some really dramatic landscapes again. Yeah, Pittsburgh was beautiful. I, I think I think that was probably the first time I've ever been in Pittsburgh at all. And um, yeah, to your point, as you're saying this, I, I remembered the drive in uh, to Pittsburgh um, was spectacular. And, and it, part of it because of the um, the kind of steepness of the slopes, you know, and the, the, the sudden elevation changes and just how kind of lush the whole thing was, how much how much growth um, growth there was. And uh, we, um, things were just barely, you could just sort of see a little hint of like yellows and oranges starting to appear here and there um, right when we were driving through. And I actually noticed on the way back, there was a noticeable change. You could see the yellow kicking in more oh, no um, kidding. on the way back, even, even in just that short little, uh, little stretch between. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I was, uh, I was talking with somebody about travel and, and how travel international travel, I've been getting emails, uh, about working internationally again. And it, and it seems like that's going to be more of an opportunity. Who knows what's going to happen? Obviously that's the future is a little bit unpredictable, but, um, the idea of international travel, the I think this is probably true of anywhere you are, unless you live on an in an island nation. And even then, I mean, the island nation of Japan has such diversity. But uh, to think about just what you have in in North America as a continent, from the deserts to the tropicals to the Mediterranean to the Alpine to a very close proximity to an, an Arctic, not not an Arctic, but a tundra-ish kind of vibe, uh, the Great Lakes, the Rocky, the mountain. It's like, do you really need to go anywhere else? After driving across the, the country and, and RC, to your point, Pittsburgh last year when Ira and I rolled in there blew my mind too. We, you come around the corner, you see this the city of Pittsburgh settled yeah. in this river bottom, and it was just like, what? <laughs> Nobody told me about this. Yeah. Out, out of the woods and into the city, basically. Oh, oh and it was just like, well, I, yeah, I mean, I've never spent a winter there. Apparently, that's the backbreaker for a lot of people, but... Winter and wind. I was. We were told that the severity of the wind is, is challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the thing that, that struck me you know, back to the kind of age discussion was, um, you know, there were that drive in did kind of feel like you were in a landscape that was sort of rugged enough that there was some, some, some age to the natural, um, scenery around there. And then you get into Pittsburgh and, and Pittsburgh is, has just this phenomenal kind of patina of, um, you know, they repurposed all of these buildings. And so, you know, it's just, it, I mean, especially coming from Southern California where like nothing is more than, you know, 50, 60 years old. Right. Um, it, it was, it was really stunning. And uh, the whole thing, it, it, it does feel very kind of like of the, the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th those Rust Belt cities, some of those, some of the ways that 
the in- industrial construct has been retrofitted to to tap into an aesthetic of appreciation is pretty radical and and also i got to say if i grew up in pittsburgh would my impression or desires of of what a tree was and then also the thought process of that, those cultural implications of the rust belt playing out in representation through this this medium that we have like I feel metal as a medium in bonsai is virtually not utilized or significantly underutilized. I thought Eric Schakowsky's stand for his silver fur at the national show with the angle iron uh, legs and whatnot was was really interesting. And I don't know if that had association with the Rust Belt in Cleveland or not, but uh, I, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what the influences of that would be to grow up in a in a place like that, um, because it certainly certainly is not a reality of mine. I've never shared yeah. in that, but it's interesting that we are the same nationality, I guess, as much for whatever that's worth. I mean, America is a, is a smorgasbord of, of everything, right. As a melting pot, but yeah. really, yeah, I, th- I think that's worth discussing. And it, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, the experience of being at the national show and it was the first time for myself and first time for RC. Um, I know you've been many times, but I think you've been to every one and haven't you, but not every, um, not everyone, but I've been to most of them. Yeah, but just that same kind of thing. You're the concept you're you're touching on is, you know, it's it's a little bit of that conversation of what's expected and what's traditional and what maybe someone's quote unquote supposed to do with bonsai versus what's important to you and what's uh, relatable to where you're from and what does it mean to have a tree in, in Cleveland or Pittsburgh or Las Vegas or San Diego, or, you know, those all mean different things. And I, I think it's great that people are exploring that. I still think maybe we're um, kind of early enough in our, in our evolution in the United States where maybe that maybe isn't recognized as being as valuable as I think it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, there's a discussion there and I, I don't necessarily know if we want to dive in too deep on that, uh, on this, but um you know, some of the feelings of the U.S. National Show and, and the award structure and, you know, the different categories that are that are represented. And if there's a if there's a place there to kind of highlight some different things, um, you know, I don't want to get on the soapbox too much. But, um, you know, some of the things that I think I saw and RC saw and you saw and other other Mariah students that we engaged with at the at the show in Rochester and, and things that people found valuable and kind of other than just walking by a tree and saying yes that's a beautiful tree but what did that display really push or um did it create a conversation did it did it transport you to a place or a memory um and i think those are things that we really could go a long ways with here in this country and i I don't know that we're doing i think we're doing some of that and it'd be great to just see that really just get amped up over the next several years yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's I think it has to become or I think it will become an inevitable direction as more and more people who are l- less and less. I don't I don't know how much the Japanese influence of the bonsai form, etc. I don't know how much it's keeping up with the evolution of distribution of ideas. In, te- in the technological form, i.e. the internet and exchange of, you know, social media, imagery, uh, inspiration, etc. I-, I-, I don't see as much of that influence 
that used to be the reference through every magazine. It was Japanese trees. It was traditionally formed trees. It was Kokufu exhibition, etc. And that that same that same influx of constant uh, imagery and sort of expectation or imagery reinforcement. I don't experience that now, and consequently. I do think there is a limbo at the moment in the broader bonsai community of like, whoa, what, what do, what do we base these ideas on? And there's enough people, which started long before Mirai. Oh, uh, hang on one sec. No, you're good. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I'll, I'll jump in, I guess, for a second. Um, you know, I think, isn't the short answer to that, the the inspiration really needs to be nature? I mean, isn't that where this kind of all started? And what what nature is to you, me, or somebody else? I mean, there's a little different interpretation there. Um, but, um, you know, the idea that we're just supposed to copy what somebody else did, I think is, a, you know, it doesn't mean it's not beautiful, but I feel like that's a little bit of a cop-out in trying to, I guess, if your goal is to explore and try to do something representative of, you know, the environment, which is the whole concept on some level of, of what bonsai really is, you know, a representation of nature and miniature. Um, if we're really kind of following that as our, uh, you know, potentially agreed upon definition, you know, shouldn't we be doing a little bit more um, exploration with, yeah, I mean, the, to RC's point, you know, that whole is it is it plats? What's what's that term of that of that kind of environment? Of the, it's a little bit of a rivery kind of marshy environment. Yeah, and, the 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 Platte River system. Yeah, yeah, the cattails and all this stuff. I mean, there's so many of these really unique um, environments in the United States, and 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 kind of touching back on what you had said, Ryan, about um, you know, it's a huge country, huge country. And, you know, maybe you don't need to explore much more outside of this country until you've explored all this country, you know, for, um, for ideas potentially, um, you know, there's just a lot to be explored and, 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 you know, work through in that perspective. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's cool to be a part of it on some level. I mean, we all are like pushing for that. And I just really hope that people just keep pushing in that direction. And if you're the, if you're the guy from Pittsburgh or the guy from Florida or the guy from, you know, pick, pick your, pick your area of the country is like, yeah. there's so much to represent in our landscape that I don't necessarily think is getting pushed as much as it should. And it'd be great to see more of that. But it's, it's, it's kind of a question of, you know, how we view convention too. And, you know, I, I, I kind of struggle with how to think about convention um, because any, any sort of art form or expression is chaos without something to, something to kind of hold it together, some sort of conventions to give you some, some, some boundaries, some standards, some ways to think about it. But, um, you know, especially when the conventions are from another place, another culture, um, it's odd, you know, and, and, and so, I mean, in, in bonsai, I mean, that, that's kind of one thing that I, I, it makes it interesting and it's also difficult to kind of wrap your, your head around. And I felt like when I got to the show and I walked around the show, the collection of trees there as a whole, almost kind of like represented that struggle with convention, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what do we, what do we make of it here? Because we have all kinds of things going on. We have things that are going completely other direction from conventional standards and are 
just, you know, viscerally beautiful, um, you know, and then you have things that sort of go outside of convention and, you know, it doesn't look so great and you kind of wish that there was a little bit more to it. Um, you know, and then the same kind of goes when you look at things that are very traditional, sometimes it's, it's stunning and sometimes you feel like you've seen it a million times before. And so, I, I mean, the, it, it makes bonsai really kind of fascinating to me in North America, especially, I mean, to your point, Ryan, about, especially when you've just driven across the entire continent and then you land and then you walk through what everybody's doing in all these places. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that experience of, yeah, you drive to places like Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's something about, you know, when you're, when you spend a lot of time in nature in North America, there are places and, and, and environments that you set foot in that, that really grab you viscerally and, and speak to you. And, and there's a, you know, kind of a, a grounding sense of like your place in the world when you're in them and they're old and beautiful. And the things that are most appealing to me and bonsai are the ones that are able to kind of tap in that, um, in this interesting contained portable, um, medium. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it comes down to when you constrict the space into the miniaturized representation, how, how I think the challenge Probably. I mean, I, I don't know what everybody's challenge is, but I know personally figuring out what you can take from that enlarged macro image, what you can take from that that you can apply to the miniaturized form and the scaled down perspective and proportion that will convey the concept. And I think the other thing about it and the the thing that is encouraging to me seeing some of the some of the things that are outside of the box at the national show in people's backyards and whatnot is you see people trying but the thing that I recognize and and, and if you I've had the opportunity to see uh, two different exhibitions organized by two different organizations on the journey of Van Gogh as a painter right and like like he only produced like 23 paintings in the style that Van Gogh is famous for. And then he had like six, whatever, 12, 16 years of work of, 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 I'm sure it's like, okay, but it didn't really stand out as anything special. In fact, it was pretty subpar, especially in the beginning. And you're like, oh, this brilliant game changing painter artist who completely shifted the course of history and the medium of painting and interpretation it took him a compulsive addiction or a compulsive drive to find something in painting that he didn't know what he was exploring to get to that point. And then boom, he, he produced a limited number of pieces and who knows how he actually died. I, I, there's so many theories out there, but, and then he was gone. And it's like, so, so to, to both of your points of capturing these nuances it takes work. I will say this. We just rewired the Sentinel, um, which is the the big upright redwood at Mirai. And it was the first time that I ever used a multiple apice form from branches down lower after I had visited the redwoods and seen the reiteration growth habit. And and it's like a it's a tame version of it, but that tree is very mature. And there's probably been 35 redwoods go through Mirai where we've used a multiple apice form. And I only just now think we're starting to be able to tap into it on a really high level. 
the wind and fluids form angle of branches, the windward side pieces being carried up as opposed to down. These are things that have come. I mean, I've been working on wind influence pieces for the past 11 years at Mariah. I'm only just now starting to get it. Like, I don't necessarily know that people handle bonsai or consider or think about bonsai or understand the kind of the kind of prolific production of creativity and exploration that it takes to actually lock into how you represent these things in this medium in this scaled down version of it and that is an understanding uh, that I think is going to be necessary for us to refine ideas to a point where when you see them and RC you made the point you see them you're kind of like gosh I wish there was a little more structure to it F- bridging the chasm of that to like wow that's well done and the idea is the same, but the evolution of technique and understanding and artistry and experience and age and time and massaging of that finally breathes, ah, Van Gogh, you know? And trying yeah, to put I, that I, on a, sorry, RC, and trying to put that on a, a you know, a, a standard card table may not be the most appropriate way to display that when it comes to fruition. Right. And I, and I think, you know, we've talked, the group of us and, you know, outside of this conversation and other, other Mariah students that we engage with when we're at class, et cetera, you know, and, and there's, there's something to be said for, you know, kind of getting outside of some of that conventional display to be able to actually show these landscapes and be able to, you know, and maybe when the patina is there on these compositions, it makes more sense to highlight them, but you know, we, we might want to get outside of like, Hey, let's put a, a skirt on a card table and a, a poster board behind it and, and, and call it a display, you yeah. know? Yeah, I think there's there's contextual. The way that you present the tree obviously creates context for its interpretation. I I uh, so we did a I, we did a big critique of the national show uh, on Tuesday night for Super Tuesday, and it ended up going two and a half hours, which blew my mind because I thought I didn't have enough to even fill up an entire live stream. And then, you know, once you once you dig into trying to analyze and interpret bonsai, it can go pretty deep. But the one thing that I do recognize is. The more that you attempt something out of the box, the more time consumptive, resource consumptive, effort consumptive uh, it all becomes. And so I think if the national show was trying to break new aesthetic grounds, I don't know that we would have it every two years. And then you start to weigh out, is the building of every two years this constant motivation is that does that outweigh the necessity for artistic exploration i don't know i don't know i did i've done i did one artisan's cup i haven't been able to do it since i have nightmares of thinking of doing it again i want to do it again but but it was and 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 bill is able to do that every two years and it keeps the community going i almost think you need both constantly i almost think you need both constantly that's where i've come from like coming back from Japan and being like, screw convention, let's do all this wild stuff. And then like, you know, kind of tempering that and then kind of looking at the value and then, and, and it does feel like, oh, okay, I see this. I get this. I understand this. But I agree. Context is maybe the biggest tool that we have yet to explore in the presentation of trees. It doesn't have to always happen in an exhibition. It doesn't always have to happen in a national show or a club show presentation of bonsai happen on a street corner you know it could happen in a a high level architectural facility an incredibly organic natural set like it's just so many things are possible and we really we really aren't doing that or at least there aren't a lot of people that are putting forth that effort and it is 
effort. You know who really blew my mind? Uh, Creighton Bostrom. I don't know if you follow Creighton on on yep. social media. When he started yeah, bonsai movement, bonsai movement. When he started taking yeah. pieces out into the environment and really framing those pieces in that environment with the geometry and the stands and things that he was creating, like yeah. he did not get enough credit for how phenomenal that project was and he did it for himself but it, it just that kind of stuff that's like oh that is amazing and i didn't see creighton at the national show this year i didn't see but one of his innovative displays i i didn't either and that and that kind of you know there's there's a you know there's a little bit of the uh tree falls in the woods and no one's there to see it conversation with some of this it's like you know on one hand you need to get the exposure and the people out there to be able to observe and react and um, you know, yay, nay, everything, et cetera, and, and have those dialogues. But it's like, to, to you know, to your point with what, what Creighton was doing, it's like, you know, I, I follow him on Instagram and, and, and he's gone through phases like a lot of us of being more active or less active on there, depending on what you're working on. But I mean, that was pretty interesting, interesting stuff that he was touching into and how much exposure was there and was there reaction and was there a dialogue or conversation? I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I mean, he would be able to answer that question better than me, but, you know, I think, I mean, part of it is, and maybe you can speak to this from your experience in Japan is, you know, the economy of bonsai and having someone who's a benefactor, you know, I mean, all of us are mostly for the, you know, for the most part, regular people who are doing this as practitioners that are passionate about, you know, nature, bonsai, the environment, uh, um, you know, getting out there, et cetera. But it's like, at some point, you know, you need to have some money to do a big belly flop on this stuff if you want it to make a big impact. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, and I don't think that necessarily is the end all be all, but it's like that's part of the conversation is, you know, you know, if RC produces an amazing display of California natives, you know, and now he's working on his backyard and we've seen it a couple of times and it's like there's potential in all these ideas, but it's like if it doesn't get exposed to the masses, you know. It's like, well, it's that it's that tree that fell in the woods and no one was there to hear it, you know. Yep. So I'm there to hear it. <laughs> well, you'll invite me over, I know. So I'll see. Yeah. It, you know? uh, yeah. And uh, on this on on this kind of point about like convention and display and everything, I mean, I I, I the last time that uh, I was looking through your library, Ryan, we had this discussion about we we looked at some of the the very old Kokofu books, yeah. and I took a bunch of pictures of them because it, it kind of blew my mind that you know specifically like the pre-war versus the post-war yeah. there was this huge shift in the aesthetic and i i've i showed like a half dozen you know non-bonsai people this like fascinating thing and all of them had the same reaction which was they were much more drawn to the pre-war um images and those trees and I've thought a lot about this because like there's no getting around the fact that the movement after the war was towards a more refined, you know, in many ways, more objectively beautiful, perfectly proportioned. And yet, why are we kind of like pulled towards these ones that were like more rugged and you know, I, don't, I doubt they would have called this, but, you know, avant-garde by, you know, current standards. Um, and this kind of this whole covered wagon experience and seeing the national show and everything made me sort of think, you know, there's something to um, our trees being reflections, not just of ourselves, but of the, 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 the social and environmental context of um, 
of, of us, you know, and not just of the natural and, and environment, but, you know, thinking about kind of what Japan was going through around that earlier time. I mean, huge changes to their natural environment. This is kind of when they were losing the last of their, uh, at least kind of my understanding, the last of a lot of their um, old growth, wild places, um, rapidly industrializing, major kind of social changes. And there's this kind of like grabbing at like the wildness, you know, like as the wildness sort of like slips away from you. And it it does kind of feel like that's where we're at. Like you drive across the country and there is this sense that like there is this wildness out there and you can also kind of like feel it sort of slipping through our fingers at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's great. I, yeah. I think I think there's 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 some sort of explanation in there as to why a lot of us are kind of pulled towards unconventional uh, formations. And, and Ryan, Ryan, if I could interject, I think this, and I, and I hope you use this as a little jumping off point, but, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, is this whole concept of kind of what, what RC is touching on. And then if you tie in someone like a Dan Robinson um, for a North American bonsai figure, and then you tie that into, you, you sprinkle it a little bit of bonsai Mirai, uh, Mirai in the wild kind of conversation and I think that's a great place to kind of maybe circle back on that conversation and think about, you know, where things could go and what we're tapping into and what what really resonates with people to RC's point. Because part of making bonsai grow isn't just to get the three of us engaged and excited because we all love it. You know, mm -hmm. we're thinking about it part of every day or, or you know, more of that for yourself. Um, but how do you get this to, to grow and, and, and touch more people out there is. Um, you know, the wild and, and natural aesthetic that is that people are drawn to, um, to RC's point, you know, how does all, how does all that shake out? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so, I, I mean, I think it's fascinating what you just said, RC, about the, the pre-war, pre-war, post-war change in aesthetics and evolution of Japanese bonsai and almost, you know, bonsai reflection of the individual, reflection of the time, reflection of the culture, reflection of the context and the in the native environment, state of the native environment. I think there th that really to me, culture, nature, and the individual is the triad that started to make sense to me long ago. But you start to massage that idea. This again is to the growth of the idea. And I almost think like Japanese bonsai and the more formalized box that was created around the economy, which is what supported the pursuit of bonsai pre-World War II. Uh was it a little bit more of like um was it less economically dependent and more of like uh, a trading or sustainability was was possible and then capitalism industrialization and and the western influence infiltrated japan and suddenly this is a you know the kokfu as an economy created the box or was it industrialization created a mentality of of formality or conformity was it a grab to this is our culture and our culture is defined by this and suddenly words were put to it and you lost that that freedom of the wild or that freedom of the unbound um you know untethered existence as an individual and now you are uh this person in a society that is has never experienced this kind of external influence or pressure i don't know that's i've never i haven't actually i've thought about pre post war influence and aesthetics uh on the actual art of bonsai in japan um but i think like where we're at in the united states the my mind for our current existence 
with technology. And I'm right on that generation where I remember the first dial-up modem internet connection that I ever made. Like, I'm of an age, I remember that moment, you know. And you got mail. And then you're on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, the, and, and, and before going to Japan, I had a flip phone as soon as I got to college. And then I went to Japan and you had smartphones in Japan and I came back and every had smartphones here. And, and it's like that whole thing, like watching that. And I really do associate the loss, as you described it again, really succinctly, RC, the wildness slipping through our fingertips immediately associated with the expansion of the built environment, the technology uh, taking priority, the, and this has been something I've witnessed at Mirai as you watch Instagram change its um, algorithms and Facebook change its behavior and Apple update its security settings and uh, every single avenue of these places where things are shared, being monetized, commoditized, uh, built to efficiency, exclusive of, of ideas, more controlled, more formalities, more driven by the economy of it, and it gets tighter and tighter, and the freedom gets less and less as dictated by the bottom line. And I really see that, see that process, and you can almost, I didn't even think about this until you said it, but just see that process constricting the creativity of bonsai in Japan. And that's where, for me, it feels like Mirai in the wild, going out into the native environment, like it was an idea. And then to go do so, what happens with that? And the first time we did it, it was phenomenal. The second time we did it, it got better. The third time I did it, it blew my mind. The fourth time I did it, it, it was life-changing. Like it's the same process of massaging this idea and experiencing the consistencies or the independent one-off nuances of that experience. But in all, in every single experience I've had so far, removing myself from the built environment and the organization of the human mind, uh, the outcome of it is not something that I can relate to when I bring it back into the built environment. It just doesn't have, it doesn't fit into the trees that are created in this context of my organized workshop where I'm thinking about a memory of a characteristic and I'm thinking about what the wind felt like, but I'm not actually experiencing the chill. Like you, the, the, the tangible moments of value in the native environment are something that are almost impossible to duplicate without being there in person. And it just seems, it just se it seems organic. It seems natural that you would want to see what happens when you reconnect with that environment or when you actually take this representation that we all attempt to reflect natural or we say we are and then you actually put yourself out there and it's like oh now I have a one-to-one -one connection with it and and for me it's it's such a challenging thing Ira because I think you make a huge point like with without without the ability I mean you're really it's like a personal creative project because without exposure without and it's not for 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 fanfare that Mariah in the Wild occurred. Mariah in the Wild occurred because it was something I was doing. We captured it, and it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting idea to put out there. And it's growing, and it's maturing, and it's evolving. But but ult ultimately, like, its purpose is also growing, too, because recognizing that the organization that we apply to our continual lives, from my perspective, is not taking us in a positive direction. It just simply isn't. You know, the 
the the the, the bigger the house is the the more architectural input they have all you're doing is you're being drawn to stay away from the outdoors more you know <laughs> and like but in the outdoors it doesn't matter your gender it doesn't matter your race it doesn't matter your sexual preference it doesn't matter your political identity it doesn't matter your country of origin it doesn't matter if you have a physical di- disability a mental disability nature thinks of you all the same everybody's the same and like when you free yourself from that construct that that man that human created societal construct it's like why wouldn't you want to be there because it's a little too cold because the wind's a little too sharp because it might snow you know it's like the more i do it the, the the more that i aspire to at some point call success a complete disconnect from technology no cell phone no computer Potential, you know, and it's like really, I I know there are people in the world that don't have the option of whether they have flowing water or electricity or immediate availability of food at a supermarket packaged for immediate consumption. I want to be very careful to not be, to not be too, um, too privileged about this, but like, um, some of those places are the happiest places on earth as far as people's mentality and mood. Yeah, I I just listened to an interview with uh, Richard Powers, who wrote the Overstory, because he has uh, a new book out, and I, I somehow didn't really realize his background, which was that he was he was a writer in Silicon Valley for a long time, and he had he wrote in kind of the techno utopian you know realm with a very optimistic view of technology, and you know when I read the the Overstory, one of the most interesting things about it is there's this whole kind of plot about um, technology and Silicon Valley and the analogy that he kind of weaves through it is of a strangler fig, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's this incredible thing that kind of comes up around us and then eventually just tr- chokes and smothers and kills its hosts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he kind of reached the same conclusion that, that you're talking about because at a certain point he, uh, left California, moved to the Smoky Mountains and, uh, you know, just kind of almost went off the grid just to escape it all, uh, you could, know, because that's how he felt most connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it, it is, it is kind of interesting that like the more dependent we get on, on all these things, the more of a drive, a lot of us feel, I think to kind of kick loose of it, you know, get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that that book has changed so many people's lives. The mm-hmm. overstory has inspired like uh I'm gonna say it's probably a very small cultural happening or a very small personal awakening, very small population that's probably actually acted on the influence of that book, but I still haven't read the whole thing. I'm trying. I'm like, I'm like limping my way through it. <laughs> it's and I, a beast of a book. <laughs> I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. I just, it's just a time yeah. factor for me. But yeah. uh, kudos to that guy. What an what an incredible uh, piece of literature. Yeah, and and, and I, I I think you make a good point. I got, I don't I don't know how many people it it act you know, practically changed their lives, but I think it, it it also certainly kind of reflects what's happening with a lot of people. You know prior to even reading the book, probably. I mean, like everything you just described, I mean, you're like speaking his language, you know, without having heard the interview where he talks about kind of how he landed on this perspective he's got, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us are sort of like simultaneously 
uh, experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Unified in the sensation. I, I, uh, do, I do feel very thankful. Uh, yesterday I just sat down and wired a Rocky mountain juniper for like an hour and, and the, the, the stressors of the societal constructs influence, you know, is you gotta, you gotta make this money. You got these professional obligations. You got this business to run. You've got, I've got, you know, I'm going to go pick my kid up from school. I got to make sure he makes it to soccer. Practice. Like, you know, all of, all of that stuff, all of it wonderful. Excuse me. All of it wonderful. I, I don't have any, um, you know, I'm not complaining. I don't want to complain. But like sitting down and just working on the Rocky Mountain Juniper, you know, it really, it was just like, whew. And after an hour, I was back. I was back to being in a better place. Like there's a general, I think, trend with the the happenings of the world right now where a lot of people feel like they're barely clinging by a thread to function at fun, functionally existing or or you know a mental health that allows them to just make sound decisions like it's a it's a challenging time and i think the continual solution for me continues to be reconnecting with the environment or the natural world but i think that's where I see bonsai more than like let's explore the context of culture and these 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 influences and it's just like man I would like to put as utopic as it sounds I'd like to put a bonsai tree in everybody's hands I think this is the birth of Saburo Kato John Naka World Bonsai Friendship Federation uh, like bonsai bringing peace to the world I I is every person in the world ever gonna you know eat and not be hungry is everybody going to be educated get health care uh is everybody is everybody in the world ever going to cultivate a bonsai tree De- definitely not let's just be like clear that's i don't see a world in which that happens would it be a better world if everybody could eat everybody had shelter everybody had education everybody had health care and everybody did bonsai hell yeah hell yeah that's a that's a better world you know and it's just but i i don't know i don't know how you change the trajectory I almost feel like as an organism, we're, 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 we're sort of our own worst enemy, fatally flawed with the necessity to progress. Well, and, and to kind of come full circle to like the, this, you know, cross country driving experience. I mean, what's, uh, what's, what's the best part of it, you know, dri- you know, going through all these places and seeing them, what's, what's the worst part of it? <laughs> these goddamn truck stops built everywhere where you have, you know, three choices of where you're going to eat and you know everything looks exact i mean you go one place you know the 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 one state to the next looks completely different the truck stops are all the same you know it's just this like system that feels like you're like getting ground up in this wheel you know (laughs) like that's the hard part you know yeah so uh well it's 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 the connection of, of of things that have evolved and changed and moving faster with technology than ever before and it's like you know we as people we haven't really had the chance to to you know move forward on a pace that our our race and whatever has has been a has been a, a able to to do that you know Can't i mean the technology is moving faster than we're able to evolve and you know the things that have happened in our lifetime we're all in our you know rc's the the young gun over there in his 30s still or oh i guess you're still 30 for a little bit but yeah easy now uh, 
Easy now. We're not. Yeah. We don't want to talk about back that. Down. Back, back, back down, Ira. Back down. Back down. Easy, easy. Stand down. <laughs> yeah, stand down. But you know, and just looking, you know, in the past 30, 40 years of what's changed here, and then the way that people are supposed to um, supposed to react to that, it's just, you know, the expectations aren't necessarily always realistic, and the, the environment's changing, and the world's changing, and it's like we're just supposed to, you know, keep on pushing on like it's like it's no big thing, but it's like you know, what, what, what brings us back and what centers us. And we're all, we're all trying to find a way. And it'd be nice if it wasn't, uh, you know, therapy and medication and we could just tap into, you know, you get your chance to go out in the forest or nature or what we've done historically as a, as a people, as a community. And, you know, and, and Bonsai kind of taps into that on some level, right? I mean, it's, it's the idea of, of connecting to those experiences and those memories. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, hopeful, optimistic, et cetera, to pretend like, you know, to your point or your, what you said, we're all going to have a bonsai in our, in our house and have a, you know, place to, to chill out. But it's like, at some point you got to be able to hit the reset button, whether that's unplugging on a, on a drive across the country, which was, I think one of the benefits, even though RC and I both had, had work responsibilities, we had to check in on, but, um, you know, being able to detach from just being connected to the world and to, you know, updates and news stories and Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, it's like, you know, get a chance to kind of just, just exist and, and enjoy life, enjoy this amazing place we live and, yeah. and try to appreciate that. It's, um, it is interesting in, in the pace of the modern world to be stuck inside of the cab of a truck out in the middle of nowhere. And there's nowhere that you're supposed to be other than the cab of that truck and it really doesn't matter if you're supposed to be anywhere else because you're not going to get there anytime soon so you might as well embrace it that 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 single moment recently uh a variety of experiences just having interactions with people in my immediate vicinity seeing through a series of disconnections people off the grid and having nothing to do and then coming back and the kind of reconciliation of feelings, thoughts, emotions, decisions, etc. from just having a moment to think and a moment to be still and a moment to not have so much to do and the technology at your fingertips to distract you or continue driving the 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 buzz of of existing it it has has also given me pause. It's very much given me pause because when I first started Mirai in 2010, the first night I slept in the house, rain came pouring through the roof. Like these are all stories I've told, but I, I, I would build a rock wall for three days and then I might spend two days lit- literally like answering a few emails back when Hotmail was my Hotmail account. Uh, and And then I might watch a DVD and and then I might just sit and think for three or four hours about what Mariah could become, what I was going to do with that tree, how crazy the transition from Japan back to the United States was. Like it just the time to like think, yeah. you know, like um, and that's still I've 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 recently started floating again, which. Oh. Nice. Just uh, yeah, it's become a weekly ritual again for me, and and I just recognize how much um, how much mental massage we need 
And if you can't dispel that toxicity, it accumulates like like plaque or or, or cholesterol in an artery or, you know, uh, like a like a dam. And the pressure gets to a point where I think that's where people are cracking. Because there's no way to expel that 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 mental garbage, which accumulates. It's just inevitable. No, yeah, fair point. It's just the whole, um, you know, and I think all of us and to some point, everybody listening probably can can relate to the, hey, did you see that email? And, you, you know, someone just sent it to you 30 seconds ago and there's an expectation you were supposed to, you know, digest that, respond or the text message or whatever. And I mean, you know, we're all, you know, better or worse at those tasks or, or, or care more or less about them. But it's just, you know, the idea of uh, layering on these responsibilities and, and things just, just because the technology has gotten there where, you know, it's all instantaneous, you know, nobody, everybody wants everything right this second, but it's like, well, that's not really always realistic. And how do we detach from that, whether it's an hour from, uh, you know, your day yesterday or whatever the, the, the yeah. comment was about, you know, putting your hands on that rocky or wiring a or, tree. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you know, we all we all need a chance to get away. And 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 touching back on the cover wagon, it's like you know, when you're going across the country and you're seeing you know metropolitan areas, and there's a lot. I mean, the more the majority of the country is a rural area, very you know you know sparsely populated, frankly. Sparse. And it's you know, so 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 going through all those areas and realizing you know the conversation we were having, and, and a lot of people have is just like, man, what do you what do the people do who live out here? And it's like they might not have it so bad, you know, the, the responsibilities that they're dealing with on a daily basis. It's like, you know, um, you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, we're all wired or so many of us are to, you know, earn money and, and exist and function and get your kids to school and, you know, save money for retirement or what, you know, pay off your house, whatever those goals are. A lot of people, it's like, man, maybe they're just, you know, not stressing about those things. And, and we, we might have it all wrong here, you know, on our yep. perspective as things are keep shifting and, and uh, you know the the obvious uh, the obvious plug that uh, that you've made uh, several times is you know put a put a bones on everybody's hand the world's gonna be a better place right yeah 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 but this this is this I look I love people in the Midwest I love I love the Midwest growing up in Colorado on Western Colorado I I don't think you could call me Midwestern in fact I'm pretty sure you can't and everybody you know people might have strong opinions about that so but driving through the Midwest and the pace that people speak at as a general, and that's obviously a, a stereotype or a broad brushstroke, but it's just a slower pace and there isn't the same degree of urgency. And uh, my dad goes pheasant and quail hunting in Kansas and the guy that, that he goes hunting with in Kansas he gets up in the morning, makes coffee, works at the co-op for a couple hours, and that's that's the extent of his responsibilities. And he's not retired. It's not like that's his job. That's what his life looks. And he has a farm, and he fixes some things, and he grows some shit. And you know, like he's in bed by seven or eight o'clock at night, and 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 most days look pretty much the same for him. And it's like that sounds kind of nice. That sounds pretty nice. That I sounds think people- nice. I think people in the city pay for that as a vacation sometimes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Can I get that rural experience from you? Can I get that? Can I get that rural Airbnb? But yeah, yeah it's 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 a little bit of a it's a little yeah. bit of an oddity. But, you know, to, to 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 circle back on the cover wagon, and I think RC can jump in here too. Is you know the 
you know, the experiences you get along the way, it's, it's always great. And, and seeing the Mirai community is just a, a pretty special thing. And, you know, something that we all share and have passion for, um, you know, seeing some of the people's uh, personal collections, whether it's, you know, Eric Schakowsky, you know, this year we got to, got to visit his place on the way back, or, you know, last year we saw Mike Andrews, you, you know, seeing hidden gardens, mm-hmm. uh, talking to a lot of people. I mean, you, you, you're, you're touching on people that are living lots of different lives than, you know, we live or, or, you know, I mean, everybody has a different experience and it, that, that part of the trip is pretty, pretty special. And, and sometimes you get to sprinkle in a, you know, a Dave Georgie midnight ceramic pickup on the way back. And right. you, you never know what you're going to find out in a uh, 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 random uh, ceramic studio in Cleveland, Ohio. So that, that, there's, there's, there's something there too, right? RC. Yeah. A little sprinkle of that Dave Georgie magic. Didn't you? I, I absolutely did. That was that was a magical little spot he's got. Ugh. Walking through his place, I was like, I've got to. I somebody has got to document this before before this changes. Like, pl- please don't change this place. It's it's like walking through get, history. You should get him on a podcast for if for no other reason <laughs> than to get him to uh, express some of his history as a race car driver. Oh, which, I know. Which, which when he, when, when we showed up at his place at midnight on a Sunday night on the way back from the national show, and you see, he's got his number and I think is a 68. I'm probably going to get it wrong. Maybe it was 86. Um, there's probably some deluxe dyslexia kicking in there, but, um, but Dave Georgie trying to tell you a little bit about his, his history as a race car driver and, uh, protect, uh, perhaps the most prolific, uh, ceramics guy in the Mirai community mm-hmm. uh there, there's something there that that could be tapped into it and it's going to definitely be an unfiltered conversation as, as we're all aware he's amazing he's amazing i saw his he's pots i saw his pots the 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 first time i did bill's symposium in 2010 coming back from japan and i was like what are these and uh and then i i i, ha- I didn't know how to find him he didn't have a website and and then I saw his pots somewhere else, or you know what? I posted a picture of a juniper in one of his pots, and his son said, "That's our pots." And I was like, "I have been looking for you for like five years, so I can buy your pots." And that was the birth of a really beautiful thing. No, I think like I I I think obviously you could even say just the ability to drive across a continent is is such a privilege and a luxury to have the ability to have that experience and i recognize that it can it can feel maybe less uh, uh of a opportunity and more like a job or a burden periodically there have been trips like that for me but ultimately what comes from and i think you tapped into it. A lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. Bonsai is such a unifier and it's such a portal. It's such a a window to look into, a little peephole into all of these different worlds, whether it's craniofacial surgeons or dentists or designers or architects or botanists or landscapers or, you know, project managers or construction uh you know carpenter whatever it is whatever the walk of light you know like i i found that i still find that from the influence of the individual uh to be one of the most fascinating aspects of bonsai and i still think it's one of the most untapped 
aspects because if we're all trying to mimic a singular idea of the traditional model then where do you see all of those differences pulled into the art form you know and that's really where working and I and I talked about this in the critique of the national show um Michael Hagedorn in his podcast said you know in Japan the people are kind of working off the same artist statement but in the United States it seems like we're all writing our own statement I, I think that's amazing. I think that's beautiful. But are we actually writing our own statement or are we just like learning how to write an artist artist statement and, and like that can evolve? And I think it's from that perspective that whether the national show this year was as good as the national shows in years prior or whether there's going to be more national shows or shows like a national show that are different as things evolve, as long as the muscle continues to be massaged I think that's the most important thing and the only thing that really needs to be a priority because I think the evolution is built in to the inherent tendency uh, of who we are. No, that's huge. No, I, t- I totally agree. And I think that's part of what we're going to find out. And that's part of the exciting thing about being a part of, of the bonsai community in the United States is yeah. everything you just said. And, and, you know, I mean, you, I guess we'll find out. Right. But uh, time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah, for sure, for the, sure, it is. Yeah. Tree, the trees evolve, the people evolve, but yeah. the culture evolves. It's a it's a living, breathing thing. The community is a living, breathing thing, and and it will continue to evolve. Uh, five bells, boys on the dot. I gotta go. I gotta go pick up a seven year old. Um, yeah. Man, so I, I I do feel as though the Boneside community owes you two a significant uh, debt of gratitude for taking on the covered wagon and safely delivering some pretty cherished articles to and fro in the journey west to east and east back to west, uh, certainly for the Mirai community. We appreciate you both. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll speak for both of us and say that uh, I think it's the least we can do for the community at large and the Mirai community for everything that uh, we get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Arsene. Yeah, and, and we, we need to think of a couple of our sponsors real quick. Um, one of them, of course, is uh, Sugar Free Red Bull, who uh, <laughs> paid for the first hour of this uh, conversation. Right. And then Low the, fat uh, string cheese. String cheese, and of course, uh, Haribo, who are the uh, original creators of the gummy bears, which we're all partial to. And, and, still- and, don't, and, and don't forget Sabaro. <laughs> Sabaro came through big in the Midwest. Listen, yeah, that was huge. The the original gummy bear still holds true as as hands down the most exceptional flavored gummy bears in existence. Yeah, there's something there. And and and, and before we go, we have to we have to just touch base on the uh, the amazing story that we shared with the uh, the Mirai team in Rochester at dinner. Yeah. Um. And I don't know if that's available out there somewhere. Um. If if it is available in 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 a in a in a a format that's uh, accessible for uh, the listening audience. It, it may be worth sharing. If not, we're happy to uh, uh, regurgitate that in the future for everyone's listening enjoyment. So you're going to be proud to know that the end of this podcast is going to be the unknowingly recorded yeah. rec- recollection <laughs> of Ira's and RC's great experience. And yeah, the strong. fact that we got it off the cuff and there is no knowledge of the recording is what keeps it so real. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. worth listening to this podcast just to get to that story. 
We should, we should, when you, when you do the intro, you need to sample that to make sure we suck everybody in for the full experience because whether, whether or not they enjoyed this uh, couple hours or whatever it was, hour and a half, right. Um, you know, that, that fast forward to the end, my friends, there you'll you enjoy that. There you go. There you go. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk them into it in the intro and just, uh, let them know that there's something really exciting, but you got to listen to the whole thing. Otherwise they probably couldn't give a shit about the past two hours. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Well, thank you, boys. It was great to catch great. up. And again, you know, like we really haven't had a whole lot of time to catch up since the covered wagon. But um, yeah, it was certainly a, uh, a worthy journey, and you guys did a great job, and we appreciate you. So um, thank you. We'll catch up thank soon. Yeah. Yeah, yep. for sure. Appreciate you too. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. We blew a tire. We're doing great. We're going to be Somewhere. there like 10, 10 p.m. Okay. Blew a tire. Yeah. So, so that put us back basically three hours mm -hmm. while you're waiting for the guy to come to do the thing. Yeah. And the guy was great. And so, so, great so we all ahead and we say, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, check in. We understand that you cut off check in at midnight. We're going to be there later. And said, no problem. Somebody will no figure. problem. We'll be there. So, so we roll in. And of course, this is the part where like Clumpner and I, as, as much as we care for each other and enjoy each other's company, we're like at our wits end, you know, and I can be irritating. Surprise. Nerves are hard thin. It's been a long time with a little sleep in a very tight space. We need a little break. A lot of fried food. A lot, a of, lot fried of fried food. food. We need a little break. So there's the just the initial thing of just the irritation of pulling up. And when you have the truck, you're always like, where do you park the thing? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And we have like a little spat over nothing about that. And he's just like, why don't you just get out? Sweetie, I need you to turn yeah. the car around right now. I'm basically there's, like, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I'm going to park it on the other end of the parking lot. And I'm like, why would you do that? And he's like, I'm just going to do it. And the real answer is because I need, I need five minutes of alone time. And that's the real reason between real here reason. and the lobby. So please, please just go check us in. And I'm like, okay. And let me handle the truck. Okay. When you say it like that, darling, of course I'll go right in. So I go in, and this place is like, um, it's an enormous complex, this Embassy Suites. And so you walk up, and there's two sets Huge. of like sliding doors, uh, you know, automatic ones. You walk in the first one, the second one's locked. So you keep walking, and you hit it, and you're like looking around. And it's kind of dark inside, where they, it feels like it's not open, mm -hmm. which is not a good feeling. But you can yeah. see there's the lady kind of way off to the left. And I like, just forgot to remind her that you're coming really <laughs> grab the, grab the, you have to grab the phone to let him know. And I'm looking at her as I'm talking. Hi, um, we're here to check in. We were, okay, yep, yep. Buzz is right through. Walk over, talk to her. Um, yeah, we have a reservation. Just check it in. Um, you'd email us and stuff. So I'm always like, pull out the email. Yeah, it's under it's under my name, Iris Sisson. And great, yep, 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 yep. Oh, uh, nope, I can't find you. Oh, oh, there you are, you know. It's just everything about it is just feeling a little weird. And it's, everybody has like checked into a hotel. Usually it's like, it's got they want in training vibes. There's a, yeah, you know. Usually there's like that, you'll want to see an ID to verify the person, and you'll want the credit card for the incidentals. Pretty standard, right? right? So I've already like pulled the stuff out and I'm going to hand it to her. And she's looking over and yep, yep, oh, nope. And then she's telling me I have a balance, there's already a balance due. She's like, you owe, uh, looks like there's a balance due here, $270 or something like, and I was like. I printed out the receipt and it's a. And I have it, it says paid, and I'm like, it's not my hand, I'm pretty sure it's JP's. Uh, and I was like, oh, I think, I think, I think we've paid. I think we're, we're squared here. We're, we're doing this for a, some friends, people that we work with, kind of, and yeah, weird treat. It's just a weird thing to explain. You don't, you, you don't, you, you're under explaining that part of it. But she's like, oh, uh, no, wait, oh, no, no, here it is. Yep, yeah, oh, yep, yeah, no, yep, yeah, you're paid, you're paid. And the whole thing is just very not good the whole time. Very not good. 
he's not he's not there yet. So I was still talking to the lady, and she's like, okay. And I'm like, well, do you need a credit card? And she has my ID in her hand. She's done whatever she's doing, verifying me. Great. Uh, do you need a credit card for this? No, no, I don't, I'm good. Like now she doesn't even want this, which every other place in history has wanted in the last yeah, okay. twenty years, which felt weird. But I was like, they don't have access to card. I just want to. I just want to go to bed. It's one thirty. Yeah. You know, this is a short film in the making, and meanwhile, I imagine Clucker just screaming into the ether of the car. Oh, he's probably <laughs> slamming the thing. Fucking Ira won't shut up. You know, well, hopefully not quite like that. I'm banging my head against the window slowly, smoking a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she finally like scores me away, gets me the keys. Uh, just very quiet. <laughs> puts it off, puts the cigarette off on your on his hand, <laughs> just to feel something. <laughs> just to remind me that's that, again, that's again, that, that I'm one person, uh, I'm not a joint unit with Ira. Yeah. Just be a good, I control my pain, he doesn't control it. Yeah, cutting back and forth between these scenes in my mind is pretty I'm nice. doing it, yeah, I'm doing yeah, it. Yeah. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready to come back. <laughs> So I get the keys, and just about this time, oh, she's like one key or two, and I was like, I, I don't care. It's, I said, I've got a buddy with me. She's like, oh, there's, oh, there's two of you. Like, yeah, I'm like this is a weird. My partner's in the car. This, so this is the thing. So this is you'll get this part because the, the room is that on the reservation says one room, two queen beds, right? So oh, there's two, two of you, and I'm just like, yeah, there's, there's two, my buddies here, and as I look over, like here comes here comes Clumpner rolling up, and I was like, oh, yep, yeah, he's right there. So she like buzzed him in, which is nice, and he didn't have to call, and she gave me the keys. Yep, great, thanks. Three oh nine, room three oh nine. Oh no, someone's in there. Hmm? No? <laughs> oh no, no. This is. Let's not let's get ahead of ourselves. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of fun details yeah, to come. I, I, have, I, have, I, I have gotten control of my situation and I'm deciding, you know what? We both need some sleep. This is gonna. We're gonna open that door. It's one, on now it's 140, 145. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 15, 20 minutes into this thing. We are gonna crash so hard it's for four great. hours before we get for up again. Four hours of just This is gonna be the bliss. best four hours ever. So, we, so excited. We take the elevator up, we get there, and come out of the elevator, the little elevator kind of foyer area, whatever it is. You go out, and we're just right there, just off to the left. We're next to the elevator. We go to the thing, grab the key out. Red light. Uh-uh. Red light. Let me try the other key here. Red she doesn't light. know how to program the keys. So do you. So this is the best part of the story, because you're going to get to go on the same journey that we did, Eve. <laughs> and that's what I'm thinking. You know, this fucking lady doesn't know. You know. And uh, I think at this point, Clumper's like already kind of like, I'll just take care of it. As I'm about ready to fucking lose my mind over the key like, just... Meanwhile, he brings the cigarette to go for yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can see Ira just decomposing. getting like irate. By himself, he can't spell Irene without Ira. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm like, just, you also can't spell Mariah without just, Ira. Just, just, ha- just, just have a seat in that comfy chair next <laughs> to the elevator. <laughs> Give me these keys. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go down. And, and I was like, cool. Don't, don't worry about anything. Cool, great, great, great. So I sit down. On the floor. Take just no, I sit down on the chair. Just chill. You know, roll the roll, roll the back over. Talks to the lady. This is should say something here. Hi. Yeah. He's not working. He's not working. Oh, I'm, can you, can I'm you, sorry. Can you can you try again? I'm so, oh I'm so sorry about that. Here we go. No no problem. Maybe I bumped it against the magnet on my phone or something. Thank you so much. You know appreciate it. 
Go back upstairs. That's very you know? Red light. Red light. Red light again. Okay. All right. Strike so two. That's another five <laughs> minutes, right? And then and so, I was like, I go back downstairs. You know, he's, oh, like, he's like, no, no problem. She's again. Again. She sees me coming. Oh, still not working. Still not working. Could you? Um, <clears throat> Can you just make sure that this is the right room here? All the information is yeah. correct here. Yeah. I feel like when I'm trying to help somebody with their raw life password. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Just double check. Is the caps lock? Is the caps on? lock? On? Yeah. Exactly. The numlock. The numlock. Yeah. It could be on there. Maybe it's not. Pick it up. It's a character. I, like, I watch very closely. She pulls it up on the computer. I watch the little reader. She puts one on the reader. Green light turns on, puts it in the sleeve, and this I'm, all like, looks I'm like watching everything. Like, okay. <laughs> this all looks right. Because I was thinking she must be forgetting to put the card on the read on the, the programmer. Like that's what makes the most sense to me. Go back you up. Come back up. <laughs> and at this point, I'm starting to say things like, maybe you should try programming the keys. Because yeah. this lady never impressed me as a person who knew what was going on. <laughs> and I'm like, can you just maybe, maybe you should? As if you have a right to be like, you know what, you're just not quite... Please come out from the counter. You're not, yeah. I don't think you quite have it down. You don't have what it takes. Mm -hmm. Comfort's going to figure this out. Put him on the phone with customer support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call corporate. This is Ryan over at Embassy Suites. I'm having trouble programming some... I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like getting ready to like slowly insert myself more and more into the situation until we figure out what's going on here. So Meanwhile, at the back of my mind, I'm looking around the giant parking lot ran. We're surrounded by like, Ramada. There's, there's a Hyatt place, there's Ramada. Like, one of these has got to do late check-ins and have a room available. Like that's like He's like plan B in this thing. I'm like right I'm, I'm, I've got like options lined up here and like we're gonna work through this. So you go back down. I'm being when back. they come back up. I'm being super patient with her and like, okay, like let's just they come Back. Let's just let's just start thinking uh, about like what together. might together mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. now it's yeah. a group project yeah, yeah. it's a group project I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> it's like I think maybe um, if you it's would, an all play so it's an all play I just need to like rope her in on like I need you to see that like we know how to use a key mm -hmm. and we're not we're not fucked I need you here we are but not I need you to the price of going up and down with me every time this doesn't work right she comes up I'm so sorry and she yeah. sees me I text, I'm I text to Ira we are on our way up we're gonna try. <laughs> So so this this goes on a couple more times. A couple more cycles of her trying to run the key. Mm -hmm. Like oh we're idiots God. and we don't know what's going I on. Now, Try another room. Try another key. I am I am now secretly on my phone in okay. like little gaps during this process, like pulling up like hotels nearby that have really? like I'm on booking.com. Yes, yes, use my location. I am, yes, I'm, use I'm, it. I'm, 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 I'm like sliding the credit card out of my wallet, like getting ready to like book something else and be like, you know what, we're out. Like, appreciate it, appreciate we'll, it. We'll, we'll talk there. to JP, Bye. we'll get the money back. Because that's because that's the only thing I can think like, and I ask her, okay, is there like a universal key? Is there a master key? Is there, is there a master Housekeeping key would use calling? this to get into no, the building. No, I don't, I don't, I don't have one of those. Would housekeeping have one of those on hand? Right. Not at this hour. They're all gone, She's and I don't it's know. It's just me. It's just this me. This place here. is enormous. This okay. is a That's huge. That's the way to get murdered. Don't uh -huh. tell people you're alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so no universal key. You don't have any keys. No. There's nobody here. This is probably after is, two is, times of murder coming out. Is there someone you can call who can maybe help us troubleshoot this? No. There's there's no one. Oh, there's reception this morning. There's 
there's no one it's to like call. It's like 2.15 a.m., it's 45 minutes in. We, we're just trying to like hold our shit together. Yeah, so yeah. Ira Ira comes down. No, this so time she's like, oh, she, let's she, all go down. She she takes the key, she goes, she takes, she programs the keys, she goes to the pool and the gym, and it unlocks the pool and the gym. So the keys are working. Oh, wait, 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 wait. let's dial back for one second. We, oh. She's, we, she starts knocking on the door. Somewhere in here, she's knocking the door. She's like, door just she's to like, sure that like is this is an empty there? room. Hello? Bang, 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 bang. Hello. Oh, like two in the morning. Oh yeah. yeah. So at this point, we're just like, no maybe one, there is somebody in there. The door. So here's here's what I think. There's there's two possibilities. She doesn't know how to program keys, which I cannot fix. Could she give you a different room? But that, that's so we're asking this too. Something is wrong with the door, and we need a different a different room. So we land on. We'll take any room she, you got. Okay, so she knows how to program keys because we've tested it on the pool. I've, we I'm confident in her key coding ability. So, <laughs> so Ira brings Ira brings the backs down. Winning. We're, <laughs> we're we're standing there. She said, "I'm going to put you guys in a different room." Great. Okay. Kind of sit there for a little bit, and I just jokingly am like, "Anything with two beds is fine, right?" Yeah. Ira, I've had a long night. Don't want to share a bed right now. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't even care. I'll sleep on the floor. Yeah, I just want to get into the room. I actually instantly regret this. I'm like, no, I would actually share a bed with Ira now if I could go to sleep. Like, you know, so she's like, throw it out passing. And she said, well, the only thing I have is a king. It's like, oh, well, we did have, like, we did, we did. And I pull out the reservation again. I'm like, and she said, well, the room I just put you in. Well, the room you guys were in was a one king. Was a king bed. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. I said, you and I. Oh, my God. And this, oh, this is what I said, I said, I said, I said we, we already went through this when I first got here. Yeah. I pulled out the reservation, it's one room under my name, mm-hmm. with two queen beds. And she's like, no, no, no that, that room only has one, one king. So, we, so he has the reservation out. And I'm showing and her. She looks up and says, looks straight at Ira and says, you're Carol, right? <laughs> She says, you're Carol, you're Carol, right? right? <laughs> not yeah. like, oh, I figured it out. Not like, wait, I might have found it. Like, this, this can't, isn't this like could, 2 30 uh, on thought, This couldn't possibly be the problem. You're, because you're, you're, Carol, you're right? Carol, right? Yeah. And I just, and like, fucking all of a sudden, holding it together. All of a sudden, it sort of dawns on me that the whole dynamic is different than I thought it was. Because she thinks there's two guys here who rolled in super late in a king-size bedroom, one of whom's name is Carol. And that that's what's happening here. <laughs> He's Carol. Carol. She thinks I'm Carol. Yeah. I'm at at this point. I'm at the counter with Carol, and Clumper's right behind me. She's like, "You're Carol." When she says it, like it was like he was about to strangle her. I start laughing. Like I'm like, I'm like, I just burst out laughing. He's falling apart. I think I like put a hand out and I'm like. Hold on. <laughs> Keep it together, man. Not yet. Not yet. We're almost there. And he says, stay the course. Give her this to Oh! You know she knows how to program the keys. Let's just get to the finish line. No, I'm there's a real sisson, and he pulls out his sisson. Again, ID. And he pulls out his ID and hands it to her. Again, and the credit. And she looks it up, and she goes, Oh, you guys are in 245. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Fuck it, reprogrammed the keys. Is this the keys? And, and, and as we're sitting there, and we've been with this lady for 45 plus minutes of pain, she said, as we're all set, she's pretty confident that we're going to be on our way, everything's good. She says casually, 
you know, I really apologize for the inconvenience. Uh, and there's a snack bar over here, a little fucking snack shack where you grab things and come back in the charge room. She goes, you guys want some peanuts? <laughs> and, we, and we looked up like baffled. Like, first of all, she's already she's already given us like some water bottles and like each like, the first couple rounds she was like sort of giving stuff and then she and then she stopped and now she comes back with yeah, peanuts and we both look up just like baffled at the suggestion and then she goes and then she goes in such a long pause and she goes maybe some granola bars. <laughs> Rage on his face. <laughs> and he's like, and he walks over and just grabs like, twist my belly. Once you've issued, once you've issued the keys, I think the program will only allow you to replace the previous keys, not just issue a new one as if you're on a check-in. So she was doing check-in keys, not like a replacement key, which is why it wouldn't work. Meanwhile, it also dawns on us. There was somebody in there. Context, context at Little America. Sure. The door, whichever one you think. The door was configured in such a way that there was a little bit of light from the window and the light outside that flashed on the door and it made it look like the door was cracked open. And this sort of weirded out Ira, and he woke up at one point in the middle of the night thinking that somebody was trying to come into our room. Oh, the mm -hmm. night before, Little mm -hmm. America. So Little America, there was a crack in the window. Oh, that's the name of the hotel? Yes. Uh, in Cheyenne. An oasis. Yeah, an oasis. In the plains. It's worth a stay. <clears throat> not a hotel. Not a, not a hotel. It's a, a motel. motel. Actually, yes. that part of it is a motel. But. Are there hotels in Cheyenne? I think the classiest motel yes. you've ever been in. I would argue that. Yes. I would yes. argue that. Yes. Yes. Very stately. I woke up about it. Historical, like it's got all the, it's got all the mojo. But so, so, so Ira, the night before, had had this like anxiety around whether somebody was trying to come into the room. I woke turns up and starts like out. the wind blowing the trees and the shadows. We're two dudes swiping cards and out. knocking on some some lady named Carol's door at like two in the morning. Poor Carol. Poor Carol. Well, yeah, the that's the title of the story. <laughs> Poor Carol. The movie, the, the name of the movie is Poor yeah. Carol. Because it's you and actually, it's like, because you're Double. Carol, Double. but she's also real yeah. Carol, so Poor Carol is perfect. Okay. Yeah. The way she looked at me and said, when she when she looked at me and just said, you're Carol, right? It's so funky. <laughs> I just, I just like you, you haven't slept much in three days. No. I, I just. And what? I, I, I was like, she's no. open. She's open-minded. You know what? No. Here's the deal. I'm still Ira. You can be Carol. Though. Here's the deal. I'll be whatever it takes. <laughs> just give me out. How wonderful is that 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 just happened? It's amazing. 
Uh, that's why we that's why we went to bed happy we never laughed so hard. He yeah. just like fallen I'm apart. Like, I'm like, that was a nightmare and totally worth the story. <laughs> a half an hour later we still have you know we're brushing our teeth or getting ready to go to sleep, all this stuff. And Which he just he was the big stuff. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're both six foot, you can be either one. Oh, either. but did you end up getting two beds though? Because you did finally get the right room. We did. Mm, oh, we did. so you did get we did. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't spoon. Come on. That's yeah. true. Yeah, maybe after all of that, you've shown close. I need a hug. Like I, need, I need something bad. No, it was. Uh, I feel like I want to call her now to just hear her her experience of the entire thing. You think that she? Would, I don't think she, she would, would argue any one well, detail. No, I don't. Not no, 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 not to argue. Just to hear what. If she, no, if she even remember, if she even like the corporate system set think, up for failure. I think, I think Carol is still mystified by the entire <laughs> check-in system. I would be so freaked out <laughs> to escape. Yeah. Okay. Next morning. Oh my God, there's more. There is a little capper. There's a little capper. <laughs> Next morning. Capper. We go to, to check out. Night capper. Mm-hmm. Was Carol funny? No. New. Oh. New new lady there. New people this morning. Check it out. Off. Okay, thanks. Oh, it looks like you have a balance of two hundred and seventy dollars on your room. And I this is where I start to melt down. I'm like, we got in at one o'clock last night and I spent forty-five minutes going up and down here because the person checking us in didn't try to check us into the wrong room. And we had a whole situation where we couldn't get into the right room. There's a lot more detail here. If I spend more time standing in front of this check-in desk debating these things with you guys than I spent sleeping in a bed in a room, we're gonna have a problem. We're gonna have a real problem here. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks up and goes, I'll call it Speedy. We'll speedy. It just, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yes, thank you. It was beautiful. <laughs> we are out. Because again, I pull up the reservation, I'm just like, how many times can you have that conversation? You know? And he just he just like he just shut it down. As soon as I tried to like diffuse it, it was like even Klumpner, the the calm, cool. It was funny up until now. No. Nope. We have now crossed nope. into no, not gonna happen. Over the Now end. we need to leave. If you're gonna charge me 270 bucks to walk away. Yep. <laughs> so you guys only got five hours of sleep, four or five hours of sleep. Maybe four hours of sleep yeah. that night. That was yeah. Yeah. after that 14 hour haul. Yeah. And then and then just turn around. How many sugar-free Red Bulls do you think we we drank? More than more than more than three a day each. Mm-hmm. Jesus. It was aggressive. Yeah. The string cheese helps. So. <laughs> 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 no. No? No, nothing. We don't ever drink I don't ever drink those things, but it's like it's like you just you just commit to the poison. This, this, this was a this was a caffeine only journey. Well, um, well I got it all recorded. Did you really? Yeah. I did too. Both of you guys recorded? That's the next day sound of your